Welcome to The Long Box of Darkness, a podcast looking at horror in comic book form. I'm your host, Herman Lowe. Join me as we take a peek inside The Long Box of Darkness. Greetings, listeners. Thanks again for tuning into the Long Box of Darkness. I've got a bit of a special treat for you all tonight. We're joined by a very special guest. He's the man of multiple podcasts, the co-host of the United Nations of Horror podcast, the Good, the Bad and the Odd podcast, which is a type of network. Uh, In addition to the main podcast feature on that show, they've got the Kingology podcast, the X-Files on X-Files podcast, and, if I'm not mistaken, the Twin Peaks log. I am in awe of the content this man has produced, and I've learned a lot about horror from him. So with that, it is with great pleasure that I welcome Mr. Mark Kane to the show. Hi, Mark. Hi, yeah. It's a pleasure to be on. I've been really looking forward to coming on and talking to you about our subject tonight. <laughs> yeah, and that subject is uh, something that I know is quite near and dear to your heart, Mark. But we'll get into yes. it just now. I'm... Normally with a guest, I start off with a bit of uh, horror origin stories. And um, that's what I've been itching to know. I've been listening to you uh, on the United Nations of Horror podcast for a while now. I've always wondered how you first got into horror. So tell us a bit about your horror roots. My horror roots. I'll, uh, I've got this in two parts, really, because I can tell you about my horror comic roots as well. But first, I'll start on my ge- more general horror roots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up in the UK. Now, in the UK, there there is a pretty strong tradition of, after a certain point in time, which is called the watershed, which is 9, 9 p.m. in the UK, mm. um, there was often uh, movies you'd have on that you called the fairly strong. We had a lot of Hammer movies, for example. We had a lot of the universe movies uh, and usually they, I say nine o'clock but usually it was you know after half ten and I had a very forgiving mother you know she's very easy going she'd let me go to bed early and get some sleep which I never did because you know it was way too early but then she'd wake me up at half past ten so I could watch uh, get up and watch a horror movie and still still be okay for school uh I, occasionally i did sleep but mostly i remember just laying there waiting for half past 10 so i could get up uh, uh and after the news they, they'd put on some hammer film or other uh, and it was great and in in addition in the uk in the 70s there there was a famous thing that uh, bbc did called the horror double bill where they'd show on a saturday night sometimes on a friday i think but mostly on a saturday night a double bill of two horror films and some I remember one particular season which I think was the second season they would have a universal film coupled with a hammer film in a chronological order so wow. I, it's that way that I consumed all the universals <laughs> and all the hammer draculas and all the uh, hammer frankensteins and so on and so forth Oh. Uh, and it was it was pretty great. It was pretty special. I remember I used to love the weekend because I, I specifically remember on 
you know, I could stay up late uh, on a Friday and a Saturday night. It was even though it was, you know, school. Um, and on Friday night, there used to be an out of limits on about oh, yeah. 11 o'clock. Yeah. And I used to like to watch that. And then on the Saturday night, I'd have <laughs> two horror films to watch. Uh, and uh, everyone would just leave me in front of the TV and I'd be sitting up till past midnight watching uh, Hammer and Universal. But all sorts of other crazy things. For example, I remember seeing Julia Romero's The Crazies on that, which is quite a different pace. Uh, and things yeah. like Zolt- Zoltan, Hound of Dracula or whatever it's called. I can't remember. <laughs> Stuff like that. But So that was kind of fun. I've always been a horror guy, though. You know, I've always liked Hammer. I've always liked yeah. Universal. And I've always liked some of the some of the better sci- American sci-fi, horror sci-fi from the sort of uh, 50s to... And I do remember I thought I was like a real expert because I got this book on horror movies called The Pictorial History of Horror that I wow. sort of consumed in it. Taught, it taught me it taught me about Georges Méliès. Oh yeah, and, and you know right through. But mm. the thing is, it was kind of old fashioned because the writer was saying going on about how great Universal movies were, and it could talk about Monogram and RKO and all this. But he was very dismissive of a Hammer, and I remember thinking oh. at the time, this guy, you know, I was like ten. That's- this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. You're right there. Um, Hammer was uh, everything to me when I was young as well. So how how can you go wrong with Hammer? That's indeed, indeed. Hammer, Hammer have got their. They basically they make. They didn't have much money, but they made everything look lush. It was almost like a per. They had a perfect storm of great stuff going on. Yeah. With actors, set designers, and musicians and directors, they just you couldn't recreate the quality no no you'd have to be super lucky and they just it all came together anyway that's my film horror background yeah and oh you know there's also tv stuff like doctor who and all sorts of things that were going on in the, in the 70s tv that were very cool uh but in terms of comics i remember pre-10 say there used to be like a horror comic called shiver and shake in the uk which oh, yeah. had like ghosts and uh, like I a like a comedy one of frank called frankie stein yeah. which is like Frankenstein's <laughs> monster stuff yeah, like that. and i remember world, yeah. sitting and drawing it and copying you know i used to draw you know and i, I was i i can still to this day draw frankie stein's boots really well <laughs> <laughs> that's the only bit I can oh, do well. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, we, um, we also had that comic in, in South Africa where I grew up, but we only okay. got the hardcover annuals, you know, every, come Christmas time. They were good, weren't they? They were, they were really good. good. Really they were good. good. And there was another comic, which wasn't specifically horror, called Buster, but mm. they would do horror annuals or, ha- you know, special editions of just horror, where it'd be a mix of, like, horror cartoon, you know, cartoon shoots, but also, like, stories of ghosts, you know, written written stories giving you the history of a ghost at this castle or that castle so oh, that was yeah. pretty i remember uh, my, yeah my one of my favorite characters from the, those comics were uh was sweeney toddler sweeney toddler <laughs> Do you yes. Remember him? yes he had like one tooth right? yes uh, <laughs> one he was just a horrible little baby yeah baby from hell <laughs> yes um uh, well, once I got a little older, I moved on to action comics. I mean, that was that had some horror elements. The most famous one being Hook Jaw. There oh, was yes. like a riff mm. on Jaws, mm. but it, not only was it a great white shark, it had a it had a harpoon stuck in its bottom jaw, yeah, uh, sticking out. So and it could use it as a like a weapon and slice people open <laughs> and eat them and stuff like that. Um, awesome. That I think that comic was actually shut down because like of protesters and you know the moral, mm. moral outrage and stuff like that because it was fairly graphic. And but you know when you're a kid, it was great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um, 
And then I moved on to 2008 AD, I think, from now on. You know, and I'm a big fan of Judge Dredd, but also, and, you know, things like Mega City One have got horror stories among yeah, the lots. comedy and the action and stuff like that. But there's other, you know, things like Flash, where, you know, people are going back in time to harvest dinosaurs. Mm. And there was a lot of people getting eaten by dinosaurs. In those yeah. st- oh, man. Uh, just um, think about a, a little kid, you know, um, you love dinosaurs, and now you, you've got this comic where. <laughs> You've got people versus dinosaurs. It's way before Jurassic Park, you know, be, yes, before Crichton yes. got, and maybe he even got the idea from it. Who knows? <laughs> but it yeah, was I always feel that they, the writers of Flesh watched Valley of Guanji because it had that kind oh, of, you know, with the cowboys yeah. and the, and the yeah. dinosaurs. It had yeah. that kind of vibe. Um, and then from there, I moved on to sort of Marvel horror. Also, uh, another UK-based kind of uh, magazine, but with comic strips in, was Hammer's House of Horror. Yes. which I'm a big fan mm, of. I've yeah. got some of them. I've got some of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they used to do comic strip versions of Hammer films. Yeah. Actually, Mark, we should mention to the listeners, um, you know, uh, you have been quite a bit of an influence on me when it comes to these early magazines because, um, you know, there was a bit of a gap in my knowledge when it came to the black and white magazines of the 70s, at least of the, the Marvel ilk. Um, you know, mm. uh, this is not uh, um, counting the the Warren magazines, which is the creepy and eerie magazines that I that I had. But um, and you, in fact, turned me on to this Hammer House of Horror and, in fact, the early black and white Marvel magazine that we're going to be discussing later. So, mm. um, you know, if, if well, I'm glad I did. Yeah, I thanks, mean, the, man. the Hammer ones are really super, really terrific. Uh, because this is pre-video recorders and stuff mm. like that, so if you wanted to relive one of these films, you could actually read a comic. Yeah. They weren't great comic strips, but they were good. You know, they were good and solid. Yeah, and in fact, some of them um, had follow-up adventures. So some of them were based on films, but some of the strips were like follow-up. Event- For example, Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, the sort of uh, very late in Hammer Cycle movie about a vampire hunter had follow-up adventures in that magazine that were you know so it was the characters from the film but going into other adventures yeah pretty cool yeah pretty cool um and in fact Cap- i just gotta say captain kronos recently had a new comic yes, come out on if you look on if you search yeah. for kronos k-r-o-n-o-s on yeah. comiXology yeah. or or one of those you'll find there's a very recent strip with Captain Kronos, which is really good. I really yeah, liked it. Yeah, yeah. I think the first trade just came out like a week or two ago. That's right. I was going to wait for the trade, but I couldn't wait for the trade. So I, it came out in Comixology before, yeah. so I put it in. No, same, uh, but it, right. it was really nice. Yeah, that's right. The trade would be nice. Reading. Yeah, no, I mean, um, recently there's been a lot of discussion on your uh, Facebook group, the United Nations of Horror Facebook group about Captain Kronos. Um, just, just yes. among, you know, in the comments of various other posts. And um, uh, I don't know if you, you guys are gearing up for a show, but I, I know you're all fans of of that movie in particular. It's such a great We film. are gearing up for a show, actually. Oh, we that's are. Nice. That's nice. Uh, so it'll be a while. It's not soon, soon, but it's mm. reasonably soon. That's in the United Nations of Horror. Yes. It's such a great movie. But, um, you know, Mark, so um, I, again, have to thank you for that um, because this show would not have happened. And, and I, f- I feel like this comes at the right time in the long box of darkness when we're at the point when we're discussing the history of black and white uh, horror magazines. Mm. And um, the timing couldn't be I better. I mean, there were, I mean, not just the one we discussed tonight, but there were several others from Marvel and other types that I used to really like. Uh, there oh, was yeah. a, a sort of, there was ones that were kind of like, um, 
Tales from the Crypt on the EC comic. In fact, I know I, I do remember getting EC comics. They must have been reprints, but I remember buying EC comics and reading those. But there was one I particularly liked, which wasn't an EC comic, but had the, that template. It was called Plop. Plop. Yes. Yes. Um, yes I really yeah. like that. In fact, I have all of the. I oh. I have not the originals. I bought them for eBay. I've collected them. Yeah. But there was only twenty four issues, uh, and I've got all twenty four. Yeah. Um, but- yeah, the, what I know about that comic is it features the famous Bernie Wrightson story, the Gourmet, in the very first issue of Plop, if I'm not mistaken. Um, um, I can't remember if it's the first issue, but yeah, there were several stories that looked like reprints of other stories. Yeah, uh, and it was kind of had this comedy trio of characters, you know, a bit like the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, the horror Keeper, hosts. But, uh, <laughs> but they were Cain, Abel, and Eve. Yeah, uh, yeah, and every episode they had like a framing device. Like they'd go back in time to educate the cavemen, <laughs> or they'd go to medieval times, and it always came a cropper, and they'd always like get attacked, and pl- <laughs> something would be plopped on them. So plop was the sound of it. Where something bad is going to happen, plop would happen. Uh. Um, <laughs> But I read others, you know, this mm. Marvel's Tomb of Dracula. Yeah. I remember a strip called Towels of the Zombie, which was very peculiar thinking back. And it was almost like a love story between a woman and a zombie. Yeah. Marvel yeah. at this time were bringing out these kind of quite unusual and weird um, comic horrors where it was kind of lascivious, a bit lascivious. Yeah. The, the female characters were kind of busty and. Yeah. I didn't have much. They were they were kind of like the comic book versions of the actresses in Star Trek, the original. Exactly. You know, their skimpy yeah. outfits. Exactly. Well, we, yeah. We, we this we can tie this into your recent um, United Nations of Horror comic book episode, Mark, where uh, Becky, your co-host, discussed the fact that um, because uh, you know it, uh, Marvel started focusing on black and white magazines, that meant they weren't um, limited by the Comic Code Authority. You know, which was mm. very strict um, when it came to depictions of monsters and um, busty ladies. <laughs> so, because they um, published these um, uh, comics as magazines, you know, they sold them on the magazine racks, not on the spinner racks with the rest of the comics. That means they weren't tied to the code. They could feature lurid content, horrific scenes, yeah. obviously no uh, color. But um, you know, I think it works even better in black and white. It, it sets the mood. It's quite evocative of, of a horror scenario. And, it's very interesting um, shading and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did read a lot of Marvel, but not Spider-Man and, and stuff. I mean, I read a bit of that, but mm. mostly it was... I, I didn't do the superheroes because I was a Batman guy. So, you know, that was it. Mm. Um, it was stuff like Planet of the Apes, Tomb of Dracula, uh, Morbius. I really oh, yeah, like Morbius. Tales. We've not really... Mm, yes uh, vampire tales indeed mm. uh and dracula lives and stuff like that yeah. um lots of various ones there's one i still haven't tracked down which drives me nuts and maybe one of your readers might be out with this um it was kind of a story which is a bit like the old show the invaders where a guy was being pursued by aliens and i remember reading one particular strip and it was kind of horrific um where he was drying his hands in a men's room and suddenly either tentacles or robotic arms that were tentacle like come out and start attacking him uh, and I really like that strip, but I cannot track it down. Is I it, can't remember what the comic it's, was. It's definitely Marvel, isn't it? It sounds I, a bit like, Kill, like Marvel. Kill Raven, or it's not Kill Raven, is it? Mm, well, it was seventies. Yeah. It was definitely it was mid early to mid seventies. So I don't okay. really it, know. It could either be Kill Raven or Skull the Slayer. I remember they featured lots of, you know, aliens. This horror. was a guy. Who, 
Yeah, this wasn't a superhero thing. It was yeah. uh, definitely a man in a suit being pursued across country. It was okay. almost like mm. the invaders. I will let the listeners, um, you know, chime yeah. in, and then I'll give you some feedback on that, Mark. Once they've, you know, tracked it down, mm. they're pretty good at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'd, be real, I'd love to know what it was. Anyway, that is kind of I, I've gone on a bit here. Really, no, <laughs> that's no, my that's horror what I background and horror comedy. <laughs> I wanted to stress that I I've got the credentials. It's just um, from the after the seventies, I kind of fell away from comics. I still stayed with horror, but the comics weren't some, such a big part of my life for a, a fairly long time, except for two thousand AD. That that I that was kind of carried constant, on. right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. uh, that's um, something we need to speak on in the future, Mark. Like you mentioned, lots of horror in that um, magazine, and um, I find that you know the British kids they weren't really um, you know hampered by the sort of um, milk toast. Or, or should I say, white bread style comic books of the superheroes that were famous in in the states? They sort of had um, very visceral, very uh, bloody comics uh, from the late seventies onwards that all manner of kids read in in the UK, um, all ages. And we're talking specifically here about uh, two thousand eighty, but also uh, obviously, like you mentioned, um, the uh, hook jaw earlier on. And Star Lord magazines like Star Lord, oh yes, yeah, Star visceral. Lord, yes, and then also the Scream um, uh, magazine that that had a short-lived tenure, I think, uh, in Britain. Mm. Scream, yeah. I re- I remember there was a magazine called Monster Mag that I used to buy. That used to it was kind of not quite a magazine. It was almost like a huge pamphlet that unfolded mm. into a massive poster. And I was like twelve, and I could go buy it. And when you opened the poster, it was like Dracula impaled on a big cross from. Dracula's, you know, with blood, it was blood, fully colour. <laughs> and uh, kids picked this up. And I could stick it on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And your mum and uh, family members wouldn't bat an eye. <laughs> no, That's Mark. Not, not a problem. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. Well, Mark, um, in terms of uh, this comic book that we're going to be discussing, I'll briefly introduce it and then I'll let you speak about the main character. Um, we're going to be talking about Marvel's Monsters Unleashed, number 11, uh, first published in April of 1975. And the stories inside, there, there's three stories inside because it was an anthology-style uh, magazine uh, written by Doug Munch, uh, Jerry Conway, Don McGregor. And the art featured within, uh, done by Sonny Trinidad, Rico Rival, and Billy Graham. And the editing done by Don McGregor as well. So... If I'm not mistaken, I think this was the final issue of the Monsters Unleashed uh, magazine. I think it only ran from 1973 to 1975, and um, um, I couldn't uh, find uh, definitive information about this, but um, I think it was the penultimate issue. And um, uh, the, the main story that we're going to be discussing, we're not going to look at the other two sort of backup stories. Um, we're going to talk about the character that's featured on the cover, and he is, in fact, one of your, if I'm not mistaken, Mark, your favorite uh, comic book characters of the early 70s. He, he's probably, the, the strip we'll be discussing tonight is probably, I would describe it as the most impactful story that is a one-off, as far as I was concerned, that I've ever read. It was because I hadn't read any other adventures of Gabriel uh, before this. And mm. until very recently, I hadn't read any other adventures at all. So I just remembered this particular strip being extremely 
um i just remembered it i just could never forgot it uh and and looking back on it uh, i recently acquired it again uh because uh i think it may have been you but someone helped i was sort of saying i remember this this and this and someone sort of said oh it might be in this and once i saw the cover uh, of monster unleashed number Mm. 11 i knew yes that's the one i knew Mm. it was that one Mm. uh and i purchased it through ebay i managed to get a copy uh, and it was um uh yeah it was just i remembered it very vividly it yeah. just all came back to me yeah uh, and and since then I've, I've acquired a few more of his adventures and they're kind of they're up and down and it's not much discussed in the marvel universe uh and and unfortunately they kind of started putting him into superhero stories rather than yeah. what what he is in this trip yeah. um uh, and didn't quite work for me but there's definitely some other adventures that were done before this one yeah. Uh, that are much are very similar to this but this I, I think i just got lucky i came across this one when i was i don't know 10 11 i was 10 i was 10 when this came out april wow. 1975 so. i don't you know because it was an import i may it may be a yeah. few months after april but mm. i i just came across it and bought it uh, and i really like this strip and i yeah it's my favorite it was my favorite one no i agree with you um, because, and i read it and reread yeah. it and it bears rereading very it, much it does it holds up very very well i mean i just read it recently after you introduced me to the strip i i knew about the marvel monster magazines but for some reason the only magazines we got in south africa were the vampire tales and dracula lives um we didn't get tales of the zombie we didn't get Monsters Unleashed. We got a lot of Marvel horror comics, you know, Chamber of Chills and uh, Tomb of Darkness and those things. But um, mm. so this was a revelation for me. When you mentioned this guy, I was like, yeah. "How there's a co- there's a horror comic character I don't know anything about. This cannot stand. Yeah. <laughs> so Mark, um, then... I'm looking um, back yes. on his history, though. He appeared first in something called The Haunt of Horror. Yeah, Haunt of Horror. Which I think either transitioned or, you know, somehow merged into Monsters Unleashed. For a short run, correct. Um, so there were four previous adventures with Gabriel, mm. um, and in fact, one at least one of them's referenced in this story. Yeah, they referenced. But them, read yeah. them all; they're all pretty good. But the one we're discussing tonight is both a summary, a pinnacle, yeah. and contains a pretty good origin story too. So we're getting a lot in this one story, which again is why I think it stands up so well. It's yeah. so it's a wholly complete and gives you all this stuff but it is like the best of gabriel stories i, I agree well. with you I'm, i've read the ones that um you know the haunt of horror as well and they they mention a brief aside uh, an event that happened earlier uh, but you, it doesn't matter you could just pick this cop- comic up and read it as it is without having known anything about gabriel in fact you learn more about gabriel from reading this one issue than you do from the other three uh comics he appeared Dude. in earlier yeah so now, Mark, this now Gabriel's a very visually distinct character. I, I, I think you'll agree with that. But um, before we talk about, um, you know, uh, how he appears on the comic book page, um, I want to mention something to you that I don't know because I know you're a big horror fan, not just of movies but also um, of of fiction. Um, it struck me as when I was reading Gabriel that um, have you ever read a, a horror paperback uh, series called uh, Satan Sleuth? by Michael no. Allen. Okay. No, I've not heard of that. Okay, it was published in the early 1970s. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think it was published after 1971 when uh, Blatty's The Exorcist hit it big, but it might uh, it might not have been influenced by The Exorcist at all because basically it features uh, 
a, a sleuth, um, a warrior against evil, paranormal investigator, and occult detective um, called George uh, Saint. Uh, sorry, I've, I've forgotten his name now. Um, uh, it's been ages ago that I read it. Um, uh, Philip Saint George. And uh, he has white streaks in his hair, similar uh-huh. to Gabriel. And this was public because, you know, Gabriel first appeared in, in 1975 or, or 1974. So this was like three years before. So I'm thinking that the creators of Gabriel might have been influenced by this Satan Street Interesting. Yeah. Right. Um, I haven't, no, the only other, uh, there's only one other character I, I could think of in fiction that kind of reminds me of Gabriel. Uh, well, no, there's a few now, but. But yeah. it's interesting if there is a precursor, and he does. I mean, Gabriel has got a white streak in his hair, right? Yeah, so yeah. there's there's a definite clue there. Yeah. Plus this this <laughs> character of uh, Philip Saint George, he also loses his wife. Uh, you know, uh, but, but instead of uh, her being possessed, um, he loses her to cultists who slaughter her. <laughs> oh. And um, you've got to read this, Mark. I'll 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 try to um, send it to you on Kindle. Yeah. It's really yeah. good. It. I mean, it's crazy. It's 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 totally off the wall these books, but it bears reading because um it's 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 of its time and it's it's sort of like um uh not just related to Gabriel but of the whole era of the whole cultural zeitgeist at the time which was all about oh Satan sells <laughs> Satan sells mm. copy absolutely yeah. um the only other character from this time or actually it's probably a little later that I can think of that Gabriel is similar to is there was a character called Sabat. Mm-hmm. in a set of books by a notorious pulp horror writer called Guy N. Smith, uh, who you probably most famous for writing a set of stories called The Crabs, Killer Crabs, mm, the I, giant crabs that come yeah. out and eat people. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people think this person is just a, a front name for lots of different writers who wanted to do, you know, yeah. get some pulp fiction out. Um, <laughs> but he, there was definitely a series of books about... Um, uh, get this, uh, a priest who is also a trained SAS killer, uh, who's an exorcist, uh, who fought evil. And, you know, there, there's gr- massive passages in it. Mm. I've read a few of the books a long time ago, uh, but I do want to reread them. Actually, for example, he gets attacked by demons uh, and he can't figure out how to fight back. And he says, hold on, I'm in this place. And he sanctifies the place in, in the name of Baron Samadhi. <laughs> and all the voodoo demons appear and fight the other demons. Oh, that's uh, and crazy. he says, "Well, I've done, I'm okay for tonight, but I can't go back there because now it belongs to Baron Samadhi." So, and it's, it's all that kind of nutty stuff. <laughs> oh, I love um, it! I love it. Gabriel, Gabriel kind of reminds me, of that. and Gabriel also is a one-eyed. You know, he's got an eye patch, mm. isn't he? You see, that's that another, another character I thought about when I saw him. He's kind of like Marvel's Nick Fury. He is like Nick Except, Fury. He's muscular. Yeah, he's muscular. Uh, eye patch. He's got the white streaks in his hair. But Nick Fury's got white around his temples, though. But still, yeah, he's got the, the very kind of badass though, attitude <laughs> that Nick Fury yes. has. And he's he's ripped. I mean, he takes off his shirt a couple of times. <laughs> Gabriel cannot resist taking his uh, no. ripping his vest off. No, as no, a team not. And there's a reason for that, which oh, we'll yeah. come to, right? We'll come but, to. Uh, but yeah, so a very visually distinct character. I think when when he was drawn by artist uh, Sunny Trinidad in this issue, um, he was drawn really well. I should mention that um, this was at the height of the Filipino invasion, um, which happened in comics. Mark, I don't know if you know about this, but um, the the uh, publishers realized DC and Marvel realized that they could get um, cheaper rates 
given to artists if they, you know, went uh, scouting abroad. So they went to the Philippines. Right. Yeah, and they got a, a lot of good guys. Yeah, outsourcing them. <laughs> they got a lot of guys there. Um, you know, the, uh, one of them, uh, Tony DeZuniga, probably the most famous. Um, he did Jonah Hex and um, a couple of other titles. But um, you've got great guys over at Creepy and Warren, all from the Philippines. Nestor Redondo, Alfredo Alcala. Well, I didn't know anything yeah. about that. And Sounds this cool. this guy, Sonny Trinidad, he did um, lots of uh, 70s horror and uh, sword and sorcery issues when you talk about savage tales and uh, conan the barbarian that kind of thing savage sort of conan so um i, I love his art i don't know what do you think about, about um how... i really like the shading and his oh, use yeah. of sort of light reflections mm. and, and stuff like that yeah i think it's really really cool it, it, it's um it's not a, a superbly detailed style except in some frames right yeah where it's superb but um it definitely it's got a certain nice feel noirish almost yeah, feel yeah i it, agree right? yeah there's definitely the noir element when it comes to Gabriel. I mean, he's got an office. He's approached with a case, <laughs> just like yes. a noir detective. But um, just to, to give a, a brief summary of this issue, this particular issue, basically Gabriel uh, Devil Hunter, as he's called, um, he uh, is an exorcist. Uh, but he used to be a, a teacher at Columbia University before his wife, you know, um, uh, met some supernatural demise, which we'll get more into later as we discuss the comic book panel by panel. And then he became a priest, right, Mark? He, he entered yes, the seminary. He became a priest. And then um, uh, a demon possessed him in turn. And uh, uh, we'll discuss that um, further um, as well. But, um, you know, long story short, he now hunts demons and exercises um, demons from, from people. And in this comic book, it's it's uh, something that I've never seen before in film or in, in fiction. Um, he, in fact, has to exercise a demon from a corpse. <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> very, very unusual, strange, isn't it? Very strange. But so that that's basically the synopsis. I, I tried to write down a more uh, succinct synopsis, but, but basically the story is Gabriel goes on a case to exercise a demon. And then mm. the real meat, the real gold is found when you go into the panels and, and into the dialogue and what happens. So so Mark will start on that. I just want to mention one more thing. Um Gabriel was created by Doug Munch, the writer on this issue, and by artist Billy Graham. Now <laughs> it's very strange that a guy called Billy Graham would would invent uh, a horror <laughs> character like like Gabriel. But obviously this is not that Billy Graham. It's just the name is synonymous with religious fervor. But if, mm. if, think about it, Mark, if that Billy Graham from the TV evangelist had to write comics, he probably would have written a character like Gabriel Devil Hunter. <laughs> he could well have, yes. To I mean, exercise. it's a very clear good and evil um, yeah. parable, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a little more convoluted than that because Gabriel has still got potentially a demon within himself. You know, mm. he's still subject to possession. Uh, but yes, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And then another thing I should mention is... Um, uh, I think the writing of this is more layered than a than a comic book story. I mean, if you look at the the title of the story itself, um, an angel felled. Um, you know mm. that that in fact um, has multiple layers to it. The angel could refer to a literal angel later on, but it could also refer to Gabriel's wife. It could also refer to the fallen angel Belial. Okay. Uh, lots yeah. of lots of things. So I I think this is early um, sort of. Um, 
uh, meta writing where the writers trying yeah. to also well Gabriel Gabriel's the name of an angel too yeah, right yeah yeah and in fact I was surprised to to find out that that's his surname not his first name did you see Mark uh, uh, later on you find you see it, it on a death certificate of his wife you see her name yes. is Andrea Gabriel Andrea Gabriel but it only goes as the name Gabriel I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know if we ever find his first name I'm not sure no sure. I've never I've, I've tried to uh, you know just before we started recording I've tried to find it I can't find it anywhere so yeah we'll stick with just Gabriel it's a badass name <laughs> An and the other thing is um, it opens with him looking at a picture of his wife and he's got she's got she's written an, um, uh, it's written a message on it and she actually calls him Gabriel in the message yeah which is weird I mean which is weird right he, yeah he could he could be one of those guys like sting or <laughs> prince yeah one name he goes or madonna. By one name madonna <laughs> but and... now mark another thing i want to ask you is um we'll start from the very beginning i want to ask you about the cover the cover for me okay it's done by frank bruner and uh, it's a very striking cover for me i, I it, it sort of tells you everything you need to know what you're going to be expecting um yeah and uh, i want to ask you in particular about uh, on the cover, you've got Gabriel standing in a graveyard, uh, brandishing a crucifix. And then you've got this um, misshapen corpse rising from the ground. Now, I want to ask you about that corpse. That is one freaky Cronenberg kind of body horror style looking corpse <laughs> that's crawling out of the ground there. It probably was the thing that made me buy this frankly, because yeah. uh, it's a very effective cover, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I wouldn't mind that framed it on my wall, to be honest. <laughs> Same here. It looks really cool. I mean, the original art must go for thousands online, I, I guess, if it even exists still. But Frank Brunner, famous for his covers, and especially not just on uh, comic books, but also on, um, you know, uh, novels of the time. So the cover itself, it starts with, it says, Gabriel invades the cold darkness of the grave to exercise a corpse. And then just the name, an angel felled. Yes. And that in, is, in fact, uh, harkens again back to what I mentioned about Frank Avalone's uh, Satan Sleuth books, Mark, because the very first novel of the Satan Sleuth series is called Fallen Angel. <laughs> <laughs> ah yeah they were definitely they yeah, were definitely so, riffing on that right? yeah. they must have been i mean i i sort of thought that they might even have uh mirrored him on dennis wheatley's duke de richelieu but they're <laughs> such different characters i mean the, the duke yeah this and the this, duke is quite different yeah from, uh rex van Rydden might be a bit close but either neither of those really fit this is a distinctive character that really doesn't fit on anyone else other than the one you've mentioned yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, that's that's why I'm trying to sort of like um, give the writers an out here, trying to sort of like um, uh, make sure that they didn't plagiarize anything, is by trying to tie it into another character. But I can't. It just, it, I think it was directly taken off that. But I mean, this comic book came at the right time, Mark, because in 1974, The Exorcist hit it big in theaters, and and mm. we're talking about 1975 now, so it was still in the minds of of most folk. Um, oh yeah, I mean, films were still coming out, The Omen, and yeah. you know there was there was a lot of movies coming out about this kind of thing yeah. too, and books. Now we should mention though that Gabriel is a lot different from Father Karras from from, oh, the, yes. uh, from from Exorcist. <laughs> He's a more kind of hands-on Exorcist. <laughs> you... He is. He does. He he, he he doesn't mind using his fists. Yeah. As part of his <laughs> that's for sure. And that's that. I mean, they had to put something like that in to keep the. The, the readers of Marvel interested 
<laughs> he's right. a, he's um he's not a gentle guy in any respect no. really all of his actions are fairly um aggressive yeah and if you have, uh, i mean the character you mentioned earlier did you 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 said sabat he, he's sabat a, sabat he's a priest with an sis background but gabriel he's been trying yeah, yeah sorry go on he, he was trained by the um SAS, SAS, yes, and he used the skills and all sorts. Yeah, anyway, sorry, but yeah, go on. Gabriel, you know, he used to be a lecturer at Columbia, so he's an academic, so he has no... I mean, he's ripped physique at, alone. I don't know where he got that from. He must have been an exercise nut or something. <laughs> well, in other strips, he's definitely you definitely see him doing weights. There, there are definitely there's definitely a lighter strips where yeah. he's, he's he's doing you know he's doing bicep curls and mm. stuff while he's talking mm. and stuff like that. Yeah, I've, I've those strips I've yet to read, but I can understand they had to put something in because some of the readers might have commented in the letter columns like a lecturer for Columbia turns out to be this badass. <laughs> hands-on exorcist who punches out demons what's up with that <laughs> explain that to <laughs> us but a quick comparison mark before we get into the very first page of the comic book um i think gabriel must be a precursor to john constantine as well not directly yes. an influence on the comic book character per se but if you think about the movie constantine from 2005 keanu reeves's character is much more similar to gabriel than he he is to the Constantine from the comic books, because I mean, he if, is. You, if you think about the yeah. use of the crucifix uh, symbol that he employs in the movie, it's similar to what Gabriel uses in in the comic books, um, and yeah. also visually they're very similar, except for the the eye patch. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Constantine does feel like a, a child of Gabriel. Yeah, uh, in many yeah, respects. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm just thinking that, you know, these uh, British writers, you know, Alan Moore in particular, who came up with John Constantine, he has admitted that he read a lot of Marvel monster magazines in the early 70s. And um, Oh, he must have read this. Yeah, he must, he must have. He must have. And uh, so, you know, that's that's obviously, uh, I think, um, enough about, you know, the, the genesis of the character itself. We'll get more into his origin story as we go through the comic. So, Mark, uh, first page on the magazine, it's, it's page seven, and it starts with this um, image of Gabriel in his um, the th on the th uh, his uh, office, which is apparently on the 13th floor of the Empire State Building, which they do show at the bottom of the page. And um, as you mentioned, he lo he's looking at this um, photo uh, f of his wife, Andrea, and she um, uh, there's an inscription or a message she wrote from there saying, Gabriel, I have seen you. And you have closed my eyes to all else. Love, Andrea. So, um, obviously, he's pining over his wife here. Now, isn't it interesting, Mark, that for uh, uh, an, an old academic, his office is loaded with occult paraphernalia. Obviously, appropriately mm. so because of, of his current profession as an exorcist. But there's at least two human skulls. <laughs> <laughs> there's two skulls. There's lots of books. And what made me laugh is there's cobwebs across the ceiling yeah. as well. He's got no time for for cleanliness. <laughs> and it looks like either a chest or a coffin. It's hard to see. It, it but there is something a, odd. Yeah, if yeah. you think about it, if if they show if they show the, the full um chest, it could be uh, if if it's shorter it could be a, a normal just uh, you know chest but if it's yeah. longer than that it's definitely a coffin <laughs> yeah we can't you can only see half of it because it's behind a, like a filing cabinet yeah, so you can't exactly. quite see it's in a back room it looks like yeah. So, uh, yeah so he's got these skulls he's looking at this picture um 
and uh, it, there's an interesting thing about C. You know, there's this, they do come back to this C. Close my. She says you've closed my eyes to all else, but there's they also talking about seeing mm. uh, a fair bit in this. But we'll get to that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's the the eye motif, not just related to Gabriel's mm. missing eye, but also to like you say, seeing and and unable to. Uh, you're unable to unsee once you've seen something, um, mm. you know, especially horrific. But then, you know, as we progress through the comic second page, um, we've uh, got the introduction of a very interesting uh, female character, which, in fact, um, if I'm not mistaken, is and remains Gabriel's companion throughout his um, tenure in the early Indeed. black and white horror magazines. And, it, and she's called Desadia. Now, Desadia. Now, yeah, Desadia. What a good name. <laughs> what a... What a uh, a, a name that sort of um, evokes horror, almost, or or a horror yeah. story. <laughs> and her, her outfit is um, it's quite revealing. Mm. Uh, she's it's almost like it's like a cat suit, a quite tight cat suit with boots. Yeah, but the front of it's like see through netting. Mm. So she's got like a dominatrix kind of look. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting, right? But again, this is the kind of thing Marvel were putting in. There's a whole set of comics um, where they have like Satan's daughter as a character. She's kind of dressed in in this kind of style as well. Yeah, Satana. Uh, yeah. Satana, Satana, yeah, and she can extract people's souls as butterflies uh, if she kisses <laughs> awesome. them, stuff like that. Anyway, That's let's amazing. not get into that. No, but um, you're right. <laughs> this is definitely a template of the early Marvel horror uh, femme fatale, although that's not particularly what she is i mean if you look at lilith the daughter of dracula and satana they're femme fatales in a, in a horror sense but um mm. you know desadia uh, even though she has this name that sort of um foreshadows uh, you know uh, horror she seems to be uh you know obviously pure and sort yes. of almost a cipher of a type of character where she's um she she doesn't know who she is uh, she she knows that she is in fact um, she possesses the soul of Gabriel's dead wife. If I'm not mistaken, is that the is memories? That yeah, the memories. The memories. Yeah. She remembers nothing of her own uh, yeah. history, but she remembers oh everything of his wife's. Mm. Oh, uh, you know all the memories of his wife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's she's uh, she's she's not um, a complex or mysterious character, other than you know what we yeah. just said. It's quite mysterious, yeah. uh, but she seems wholly you know good and reliable. Yeah, and, um, it, and as here, a character. I mean, we've got a good bit here where the writers are trying to tie in the visuals with the the actual dialogue and the story. Where he's just been looking at the picture where you know we've read the inscription saying that um, you know Andrea said she's seen him, and then when uh, Desadia enters. Um, she says, oh, I'm sorry, Gabriel, I'm intruding. And he says, sorry for what? Sorry for what you've seen? And this is obviously a reference to what, uh, well, at this point in time, we don't know this yet, but later we'll find this out, what she, what he's just read and the fact that she's his wife. So in, in a very uh, weird uh, panel, he tosses the picture aside and, and it just breaks. And I was like, it just breaks. Like, now this is now probably his reaction to the fact that his wife is gone and the only thing uh, that he has uh, close to his wife is, you know, Desadia. But but he's not happy yep. with that fact because obviously she's not purely his wife. And then, I mean, I, I found that not elegant, but at least an attempt by the writer and the artist to sort of um, tie the visuals together. You know, which is something you find in movies a lot, but not, not in fiction, mm -hmm. really. 
Um, yeah, it's an interesting. It's an interesting. As I said, he seems to be a character kind of full of aggression. Yeah, uh, and this kind of a shows his aggression, but b also shows his like. He's not. He's looking at the picture, but he wants to make an explicit gesture that he's not tied to it. Perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. Not quite sure. And then we've got the eye motif again when the picture shatters, and uh, it seems like Andrea's picture is starting to um, cry tears of blood. Blood, <laughs> and that's yeah. where awesome see uh, an awesome panel, which uh, immediately tells you, okay, there's some supernatural happenings in the offset here. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, those characters never look at that picture again. We we do go back to it now and again, yeah. but they don't see it. We, no. as the reader, see the 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 um, picture crying blood, which was kind of reminiscent of like it. You know, the, oh, the, the pictures picture in with it. Georgie. Right? Yeah, Georgie. It made me oh, think of that. That's scary. Uh, so I wonder if mm. King ever read this strip. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure if he if, if he did. He could have. I'm not but, sure if he's I a mean, comic book reader. <laughs> um, no, he, he, he was a big EC Comics fan, you know. Oh, but right, yes, um, I think he, he stopped reading comics in the mid-60s. I, I might be wrong with uh, about this, but, um, but uh, you know, definitely the trope of, of haunted pictures you know of photographs um having mm. a sort of uh, hideous malign life of their own that's something that you do find a lot in horror pictures but i think something like this would have definitely impacted me you know if i had to write later it, it'll definitely come through in my subconscious <laughs> you know because this yeah. is scary for a kid to read this picture crying blood and and then mark i don't know if you've noticed but this comic book has a lot of the words the following two words filth and stink <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they Gabriel. use filth and stink over and over. <laughs> I will also say this, I mean, just to describe it for, for the listeners, there's some interesting framing here between panels uh, on the same page mm. where there's almost like jagged panels and between the jaggedness, the picture is thrown into the same panel. But it's kind of hard to describe, but it's got like a, the framing is not traditional. Uh, and it's kind yeah. of interesting. It works completely. You don't, you know, where you are on the page yeah. with the framing, but it's it's kind of showing that that I, I think it's relating to the anger, perhaps. I, you I, know, I the, think you're right. It's like um, it's a nice touch. It is a nice touch. Yeah, and one uh, panel, the panel's actually leaning towards the left, and that's mm. in the same pic, uh, inside that panel. Gabriel's leaning against the wall, leaning malevolently towards uh, Desadia, and Desadia sort of Desadia's cringing away from him because of his anger. So, I mean, the panel sort of mirrors the character's emotions and uh, actions, which is mm. which is great. And then, of course... It's like almost said, like Dutch angles for comic books, right? It's yeah, kind of that. Like, oh. Exactly. And also, the shattering of the frame could, could um, you know, forecast the literal, you know, shattering of the comic book panel frames, which is, you know, you, you never know what they intended, but it seems that at this point in time, they, they did... Do, try to do something a little bit different than your average superhero comic because they know oh, indeed that, i mean mm. there's movement um signifiers for for the throwing of the um the picture going across another pane yeah so exactly. it's almost like he's throwing it across that what happened before yeah it's kind of interesting there's some interesting stuff here yeah. yeah and then you know he, he gabriel said um oh well the uh the first says a matter requires your attention gabriel and then he's <laughs> gabriel immediately chimes in with he's returned you've seen his filth <laughs> and then yeah. the filth. <laughs> And then the Sadia says, uh, not uh, directly. <laughs> so at this point in time, 
uh, I was thinking, what is, you know, Desadia thinking? Is Gabriel talking here about <laughs> some giant turd or something <laughs> or what? But obviously she knows what he, what he references. And, and then she chimes, she, she um, keeps this filth train going by saying, I know he has returned. And then she pauses uh, to work his filth. <laughs> <laughs> this is there's a, an awful lot of clunky. pausing in this dialogue yeah. melodramatic pausing which works very well in it you know the thing is it is melodramatic but this is high tension stuff that that, that we're get, getting into so it kind of makes That's sense right. yeah no, it does and and there's not a lot of you know caption boxes here which i appreciate you know so there's not a lot of exposition which is something no. early 70s comics had and and it drives me nuts you know, because um, you can yeah. see everything that's happening in the panels. You don't need to have a description of that. Marvel in particular were quite bad at it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Some comics are just now unreadable for me <laughs> because of that. But then, you know, um, following on from that page, we've got Gabriel getting dressed. And here we've got a gratuitous shot of his torso as he uh, gets ready to go out and he gets dressed. And we see he's quite yep. muscular. And this is this uh, the page where we see something that is integral to his character visually and also uh, spiritually mark and um and that is this crucifix brand which is a, a, a crucifix type scar in the middle of his chest yeah this um uh, i mean we find out how that happened uh, later but this always makes me think of uh, van helsing in brides of dracula where peter cushing yes. has to free himself of the vampire bite by branding himself with yes. a cross I, I, on I the neck now that you mentioned it, I completely forgot about that. That is a very good reference, yeah. But I, because so, probably because I haven't watched that movie in a while, but I remember that scene vividly now that you you've mentioned it. Yeah, it is interesting. They do all these mm. like torsos of Gabriel. I can kind of see why they have all these lascivious sort of female pics for you know boys yeah. read these kind of comics. But they've also got Gabriel being kind of muscular and which I mm. guess boys would think oh wish i look like that maybe you know yeah no no I think, it's interesting uh, right yeah, it is interesting it's, it's even nice. handed at least <laughs> yeah i agree I, I guess it ties in with the whole you know doc savage um kind of yes. pulp character i mean doc savage yeah. was very actually you know this is he does look very doc savage yeah actually yeah, the star of this no, i agree and and he actually has um more of a visual uh he takes more of a visual cue from doc uh savage's um villain um now his name escapes me is it sunlight john sunlight or i can't remember i because, cannot remember because you know doc savage being the man of bronze um you know with with uh, blonde short cropped hair gabriel is more the the opposite of doc savage his enemy i think it's called john he's called john sunlight with black hair and uh, dark features you know but um, we're we're never quite sure how dark Gabriel really gets because <laughs> it's always in black and white. But mm. you know, I'm definitely of that pulp kind of character style, um, uh, you know, visually represented. And then you know, Gabriel puts on this tweed jacket, very fashionable '70s style outfit, and then they get going towards whatever Desadia has for them. Uh, this case that she's uncovered for them. And then, uh, Mark, we see on the next page that once they, they leave, we see the book that Gabriel has been studying. And um, it's called The Myth and Mystery of Death by Reverend James Franklin. Um, and it was something he's obviously um, recently been reading. It's on, on his desk. And then, yeah. um, you know, we've got the very last uh, panel on that page. We see the, the last shot we'll get of 
Andrea on the on the photo frame in the picture crying, and now the entire picture is almost almost covered by blood. Yeah, um, blood's yeah. flooding the frame and yeah. like welling up around the sides and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I should also mention Gabriel's rocking a pretty cool black turtleneck as well, isn't <laughs> oh, he? Yeah. Oh, very I forgot to mention that. Very like Archer. Um, I mean, if you think about the the, the yeah, it's very Archer. Archer. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Except um, with, without the stupidity. <laughs> yes, and um, there is also a page within the book he's reading. We don't see what that page is. Yeah. Uh, between you know, he's obviously put some a page between the leaves of the book. Yeah, at first to, just to mark a place, but yeah, there is a pa- uh, some sort of document within the book as well. Yeah, we'll we later find see. out it's much more than in fact the yeah. bookmark. But um, Mark, what I remember over this page, uh, which is page ten in the magazine. Um, Gabriel, on the previous page, he asked, uh, "What is the what is her name? The the lady they're going to be visiting." Um, and then on page ten, uh, Desadia says Ramirez. Now, since I've just recently read this comic, um, when it, when I heard this word Ramirez, in my mind, I heard it in Clancy Brown's voice <laughs> from Highlander. Ramirez. Ramirez. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you well, I mean obviously Ramirez is a quite famous you know Mexican or, or a Latino name but you know this is the first time I encountered it since Highlander so it just it, it got a, an eerie connotation yeah. for me when I read yeah. this <laughs> but yeah um, um, also decide the uh, this uh, reveals that the subject they're going to visit is dead that's a that's yeah, a big deal. Right? Yeah, that's definitely. But, something... And she's just she's got this message from no phone or anything. She's just you know through psychic means has been given this message. Is is how it reads, right? Yeah, and that seems to be her role. Like she's sort of um, she's a medium as a well. Medium, yeah. And she's um, at at various times she is his secretary, his um, you know agent, <laughs> his exorcism mm. agent, and of course the the uh, his psychic detector. Um, and of later also again lover, um, uh, even though she used to be his wife. Technically, at this point in time, doesn't look like they're on that kind of uh, footing yet. But maybe at the end of it's the difficult issue, to say. Yeah. It might be they just we're just not seeing that those scenes as it were. So so Mark, I wanted to ask you this. I know you're a big fan of the actress. You didn't see um, uh, a bit of Carolyn Monroe. In oh, I do. Yes, yes. She and really... again that can't kind of dies the cap- captain chronos vampire hunter who, oh, yes. who may be mm. feeding into this as well somehow yeah no i don't think be. it was that famous in america so maybe not but she she's definitely got a look of caroline monroe you could definitely see caroline monroe doing this kind of thing right yeah i mean just think how awesome it would have been if they did a gabriel uh film <laughs> or a couple of gabriel oh, films oh yeah definitely they should correct. in fact her outfit actually does look a bit like um some of the outfits caroline monroe War in a film called Star Crash. Oh no, which I, I haven't seen. I haven't seen that. But you know, I, I know Carol. Oh, it's glorious. She wore. <laughs> she well. I mean, I saw her in cat suits um, when she was doing yeah, pin yeah, up, pin up was... shots. Uh, but yeah. this is it's this that is, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, then Star Crash. I I gotta check that out, Mark. Uh, definitely. It's an Italian sci-fi film, so you can imagine, right? Oh man, that must in be a freaking... Barbarella kind of mold. Oh well, nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh, I'm a big mm. fan of the. The French film Barbarella, and now they've they've um, reinvigorated the comic book franchise recently too. Oh, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, yeah, I haven't read that yet though, so so we'll leave that. That's not horror. <laughs> Sorry about that. But um, on the next page, they're visiting this horrific tenement 
in uh, the Bronx. Um, and this being the mid 70s, I mean, the, it was actually the case, you know, if you had a lot of um, uh, affluent, uh, usually white uh, New Yorkers leaving the city for the countryside in the millions, really, because of the recent race riots, um, you know, that, that uh, the police sparked with uh, their killing of some some innocent black men in the early 70s and late 1960s. So I, I guess yeah. that's one of the reasons why the, the wealthy, rich kind of left New York. And then the city um, was in some serious debt, you know, because they lost all the taxpayers. And um, I mean, this was re really a realistic depiction. And also, Mark, if you think the young Filipino artists and even the, the American artists at the time, they were living in the cheapest accommodations available. They weren't rich. They didn't get paid a lot from Marvel and DC. You know, so you had like Roy Thomas and, and, and Gary Friedrich and those guys occupying these horrific Bronx apartments. So, I mean, this is obviously based off, off of, uh, you know, probably where the artists, uh, you know, um, lived or where they uh, frequently walked, you know, to work. Um, uh, it is funny that they yeah. say this is 5.42 p.m. in the Bronx, the, the Bronx the wallowing in its squalor Dusk and it's squalor. like empty streets completely empty streets in new york at quarter to six in the evening yeah that's kind weird. of fun that is funny yeah i would have changed that to 11 42 p.m or something yeah, like that it's weird that it's 5 42 you, you you i mean you might expect to see street gangs or something around yeah but maybe they do only come out at night if you think about movies <laughs> like the warriors <laughs> maybe but, but you know still they enter this horrific apartment and then this lady opens uh, Mrs. Ramirez and then uh, she threatens them with the, with the police but um, Gabriel just doesn't uh, you know listen to her at all he sort of, sort of breaks and enters or forces entry into her apartment he just pushes his way in yeah, doesn't he, he says uh, uh, she goes she, my husband's dead he goes we know and just walks in <laughs> yeah that's awesome which speaks to his character I mean he brooks no obstacles in his path in fact if there are he's, he's gladly trample over them human or otherwise yeah he's uh, he's not a man of uh, talking yeah that's well, for sure yeah i mean it's kind of um it ties back into the john constantine uh, connection you know he's very similar to that even though constantine is um more up for verbal banter he's he sort of uh kind of walks over those in his in his path gleefully Often, you know, with, which Gabriel kind of does. He he has he's very meticulous and very um, almost like a Terminator type type of figure, except where he's not after John Connor, he's after demons. <laughs> yeah. So he he gets into this apartment, and then we we see the first image of his uh, subject, the subject he's going to be exercising, which is this old man lying on a bed, and um, then we've got this kind of uh, hazy art from. Uh, sunny Trinidad where it, it sort of the the panels become quite misty as if at first as if there's a glow emanating from somewhere mark and then there's sort of um, s some type of energy that moves across from the characters I don't know if it's a mist or, or what it's supposed yeah, to yeah it's evoke. meant to suggest something swirling doesn't yeah, it swirling, and we get yeah. a close up of uh, Desadia's face a really good nice piece of art very simple but quite effective because she's obviously underlit uh, or intended to be under there, uh, and looking kind of her eyes really big, saying, he's here, Gabriel, everywhere. Yeah. And Gabriel's like, I know. Yeah, he knows <laughs> he doesn't need this lady's input at all. But, you know, at this point in time, you get the sense that she, at first, is lying to them, saying that my husband's not here, he's dead. And then when G Gabriel holds no truck with that, she then says, uh, it's a miracle 
He's been returned to me because she prayed to God and he answered her prayers. And then obviously <laughs> Gabriel knows yeah. that it, it isn't God who answered her prayers. And then on the next page, a kind of V-shaped scar, which is actually the Roman numeral five, appears on the old man's head. And um, Desadia is the first to spot that. And then we we have uh, Gabriel sort of scrutinizing the old man. And then he, the, the man himself, whispers uh, five names. Uh, Nirim, uh, Pythonissa, Elimia, Sephira. And obviously um, those are the five demons sort of inhabiting his body. Not obviously, I should say. If the character probably didn't mention that later. I think Desadia mentions that later. We probably wouldn't have known. But then when it gets to the very final name, the old man's face sort of transmogrifies into this horrific mask, uh, fanged mouth with these weird candle-like flames shining in his yeah. eyes. It's candle eyes. It's really great. odd. The V, the V. when I, reading this back with the other strips, I was, I hadn't actually picked up that we took around with Possessed by Five. I was thinking it was to do with the fact that, in fact, in terms of Gabriel's history, this is it the fifth strip oh, he's in the fifth strip so i thought it was, was about the f i thought this was suggesting this was the fifth case or, or something but that be, doesn't really make sense but, no but it could be that because his fifth exorcism by my counting sort of or or the fifth mm, entity i think it is it could be yeah uh, but uh, but in the strip it's specifically you know i'm possessed by five right so yeah. it's kind of that's more likely right yeah well when they uh, oh sorry Mark, i like the fact ahead. that gabriel mm -hmm makes fun of the demon doesn't he as well as <laughs> being very punchy uh he goes oh cheap parlor tricks <laughs> he's kind of yeah is that how he starts he's never impressed he's no. never impressed by whatever the demons do i mean this, uh, this is him channeling father karis but you know uh, not father karis's disbelief it's sort of father karis's early disdain for pazuzu mm. <laughs> in, in yeah. the exorcist but you know we know gabriel's gonna go much further than the Father Karras because he doesn't need to bridge that gap of disbelief. He's already done that. And then yeah. you've got this great panel of, you know, um, the old man transforming into this monster when he shouts the final name of the the fifth demon that's inhabiting him, and that's uh, Belial. Um, and then he screams, Belial, Gabriel, Belial who will suck you down into hell. <laughs> and then you've got this old <laughs> Spanish lady screaming, No, mi Dios, mi Dios. <laughs> <laughs> and Gabriel's just standing there, not impressed at all. Oh, that's a brilliant pose he's affecting. He's just like, okay, yeah. bring it on, bring it on, bitch. <laughs> and uh, I mean, some of the panels here are really well drawn. The, the the pitch just before he turns into the demonic face is really good, but the demonic face is like really something. Yeah, he he at first has this serene look on his face, the old man lying on the bed, and then yeah, yeah. it immediately just. Uh, all goes to hell when he starts transforming. It's a it's a mm. great couple of panels. Uh, the pro progression is so sudden, but you know you don't need it to be gradual. You know, in this case, it's it's a it's a sort of a jump scare. Um, and then you know you've got uh, the demon attacking, and it, 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 the demon seems to have some telekinetic powers. And instead of targeting Gabriel, it targets the wife. <laughs> where yeah. I, I don't know, Mike, uh, on the next page, which is page fourteen, did you see the demon sort of? Uh, it telekinetically slams the wife with the door. At first, I yeah. thought it was a cabinet that collapsed on her, but it's. A door. Oh, I thought she threw her into the door. Okay, that could also be it. But then there, there might be a panel missing where he, where he grasps her. But 
you know, yeah, it could be. It it sort of does look like that. So oh no, could... it's telekinetic. It's not touched her because he's quite. He's on the yeah, other side of the a room. Bit, a bit far away. I, I doubt Gabriel would have let him, you know, uh, touch her because he's in between them, right? But it does look like he's throwing her. Uh, I mean, if you're yes. used to comic book, um, sort of motion, the, mm. it does look. Like it does that. look like that. Yeah. There's lots of swirls there, which can be motion in comic books, but in this case, is we're getting swirls in other panels to suggest sort of psychic energy flowing yeah. around the room. Yeah, and then he and tells, this yeah, go ahead. This Mark. demon um, has got a tongue on him, hasn't he? Really? Oh he, yeah. Jeez, he, he says, he says one bit. He says. Your God, scum woman. Your God has answered your prayer with this. He's blessed your prayers with stench. <laughs> there we go. And he has dragged your prayers through the slime of the pit and now slings them back at you. Oh. And Gabriel goes, ignore his lies. <laughs> Don't listen to him. <laughs> oh, man. And then he, he goes on to say, this is the God you worship, woman. This is the God whose stinking feet you lick and kiss. <laughs> <laughs> now this 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 immediately you know sometimes when I read stuff Mark I don't know if you're the same it sort of evokes real life images in your head of of some you know connotations with with other things that you might recently have come across and um you know a couple of days ago I saw a picture online of you know the pope having his feet kissed <laughs> by mendicants oh, and and this kind of <laughs> reminded me of that like you know how how uh, insanely religious do you have to be to kiss the feet of any holy figure <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, even the Dalai Lama must have smelly toes. But in this case, you know, he, he sort of references to that. And that is, in fact, a reference to, you know, the, the Catholics, uh, um, you know, in Vatican City who have the tendency to sort of like wash and kiss the feet of the Pope. Although now the modern yeah. Pope, he does that to his, his worshippers. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> apparently, but it, it's kind of. I have to say, the dialogue here does feel quite reminiscent of the sort of dialogue in The Exorcist, the oh, book yeah, and the yeah. movie. So yeah. they're, they're definitely riffing on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, then you've got Gabriel just, you know, uh, getting sick of it, and he just instead of like, uh, you know, being more eloquent, he just says, "Shut up." <laughs> <laughs> Shut up! And he punches out the, uh, yeah. the which he and does a lot. Right? This, he likes being he's punchy. I love this scene where he punches the guy. I mean, first the demon telekinetically pulls the the ceiling down on top of the wife again. <laughs> You've got her in yeah. the back background of one panel getting covered in debris and then gabriel tackles the demon and then you've got this great i mean is it gabriel who screams <laughs> i don't know if it's gabriel or the demon but then you've got him punching out the demon um punching sort of out fit of and rage. there's a more juicy dialogue uh, the, the demon saying your god has sent your husband to the pit woman he's allowed your husband to be raped by hell and all its haunted minions Whoa! <laughs> and that's when Gabriel's had enough and punches him out. So. Oh man, the dialogue is brilliant. In fact, later on, Mark, when we'll we'll do our favorite panels, favorite dialogue, and favorite page, yeah. we're gonna gonna Good see idea. this page again. But um, yeah, possibly this yeah this demon, and and again the whole thing with stink. You know this he mentions stench. He mentions your God stinks, and then the very next page page 15 gabriel gets on the stink train by saying you stink belial you stink to hell and beyond and you'll pay for this <laughs> so it's like saying don't don't tell us mortals we stink it's nothing compared to your stench <laughs> and yeah and then decided tries to help doesn't she she yeah. says the veil is forehead 
uh, five, five possess him. And, and Gabriel's like, be quiet, the side. Get out of here. Get her out of it. Like, yes, Gabriel. Is, and it, oh. he's very, he's very alpha male. Isn't yeah, he, this is kind of reminiscent of how uh, Reed Richards used to treat Sue Storm in the Fantastic Four oh, in the sixties. No, because I mean, it became a Marvel trope, Mark, with the writers sort of um, all writing male characters in Marvel like this, based on the Stan Lee uh, method, where you know the <clears throat> sort of uh, male lead talks down to the to the female lead and uh you know it, it reminded me of that because gabriel even though desadia is a, a valuable asset you know he he sort of like just wants her out of the way most of the time it's almost like she's she's um a detriment to him <laughs> when he's in action but um yeah a bit a bit of condescension there uh on gabriel's part but still and then you've got desadia comforting the woman and now the woman's you know come to realize that you know she in fact sort of made a unwitting bargain with the devil uh, you know where she thought she was praying for her husband's life and then you've got this great scene on the next page mark page 16 i, I love this scene this is this the exorcist scene where <laughs> gabriel's tying the unconscious belial in the, in the form of this old man's body to who's, to who's bleeding bleeding out of his nose oh, all yeah. over the place and all sorts right oh man well gabriel packs a mean right hook uh mm. <laughs> <laughs> because he played him out with one punch. And and there's this great panel transition where on page 15, um, uh, you know, Desadia mentions, um, I will attempt to explain the evil which presumes to be. And then the right, the very next page, uh, the first panel has the caption box, your husband. And then we see her husband lying there with a bloody nose. And sort of this, this kind of keeps the reader's attention when you're turning pages. You know, yeah, um, it does. Um, it's kind of like the comic book equivalent of uh, when sounds flow across scenes in yeah, films. Hitchcock, like a whistle right? of a train, yeah, yeah. suddenly is still there when the next scene starts. You know, those kind of things. Yeah, right? It's kind of cool. Yeah, this shows you. There's how, a lot of sophisticated stuff going yeah, on here. Yeah, that's. What, I mean, for its time, it's revolutionary because I mean, Alan Moore when he brought the sophisticated suspense to comics in in 1984, that's the only other time I can think of when you had this kind of like panel overlapping, uh, you know, working with the captions and with the dialogue, you know, in, in perfect cohesion. So this is definitely ahead of its time, I, I think. And I guess it's because yeah. the writer, uh, Doug Munch, he, he is quite um, uh, literary. You know, he, he um, cut his teeth on stuff like Vampire Tales, but then later on he had this amazing run on Moon Knight, uh, which was a horror run, Mark. If you ever have the... Oh, inclination okay. to read some one. great early horror read moon Knight, the early moon Knight by doug munch and um i think the artist on that was bill sinkevitz who's a great horror artist and um basically you know munch is a writer with the chops to pull this off and because they were writing for you know a predominantly adult audience too i think they they sort of cut loose a bit i think um you know you, you oh for sure for kids, this for is really not like any other marvel i've read yeah, no, no, diff definitely. Really isn't. I mean, different. apart from, you know, Vampire Tales and Tales of the Zombie, certainly nothing like any of the superhero stuff. No, I, I completely agree. And then you've got this um, demon lying on this bed being a snarky again. He, and he says something like, you always were my brightest pupil, Gabriel. <laughs> so I wonder what he means by that. You know, like, um, uh, maybe, you know, during Gabriel's uh, origin story, we'll uh, shed more light on that part, Mark. But do you know what he's mm. referring to there? I'm not. I'm not quite sure. 
Um, no, I think it means you know because he possessed him, mm. he considers him a a, 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 a a student. Yeah, yeah, a that's what I assume it means. Unwitting disciple. Um, and he even then starts raising the fact he's called Gabriel. He goes, oh, a bit arrogant. Yeah, <laughs> have someone called you called Gabriel. <laughs> So yeah, how can you stuff, parade right? around like that with a name like Gabriel? <laughs> Crazy. But, you know... Um, and again, Gabriel's just ignoring it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it could also be that, you know, you never know, um, you know, uh, Gabriel might be the human avatar of the angel Gabriel. You never know because... You Possible. Know, I mean, tying into the title of this issue story, you know, um, an angel felled. Belial must be a fallen angel um, since he's, you know, we never know for sure in Christian mythology he's just a demon, right? But um, uh, he t- I think yeah, he turns I, up in sometimes he's just the name, too. another name for Satan. Yeah. And sometimes he's a distinct thing, right? Yeah, because he's uh, he's in the Hebrew Bible uh, yeah. uh, as a demon, but he tends to be conflated with the devil yeah. in later texts. Yeah, and then you 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 know you've got um, the image of the goat. Uh, the goat with a thousand young, like Lovecraft mentions, you know, um, you've got mm. that image. I think it's only um, in recent years, not in recent years. I mean, uh, let's say in the last, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's say the latter half of the 20th century, the image of the goat's been tied in with with Belial. I might be wrong with that, but, you know, he's not traditionally associated with a goat, at least not in my research but pro- probably in popular culture. But the reason why I mention this, Mark, is at the bottom of page 16, you've got this great quip from from Belial while he's lying on the bed. He says, my, my, how irritable you are today. And then he says, am I just getting your, and then the, n- the very next panel, goat? <laughs> and he transforms and he into the goat this face. Goat. Wow. That's brilliant. And again, Gabriel's there... silence, hell beast. <laughs> Yeah, but Gabriel's like, yeah, wake me up when you get to your werewolf impression. Oh, what I forgot. That's what a great bit of well, that. Well, some major, some major cuts going on here. Yeah. Um, there's also some more di- stinky dialogue going on a bit <laughs> earlier. He says, he starts talking about talking to Gabriel, and he says, um, um, he's talking about God again, this yeah. demon. He says, I know how much he stinks. I'm saving up my spit for his bath. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that uh, is a brilliant bit of dialogue, man. Yeah, I, I this love it. is not what you get in Marvel superheroes, Jim. Definitely not. And then on on the next page, seventeen, you've got um, him showing his powers of, again, where he sort of shatters the bedposts and and his restraints, and you've got these great sound effects, sprack and scrack as they shatter. And then um, this is a pretty horrific scene for me, Mark. At first, I didn't know what was happening, but when I had a closer look at it on the bottom of page seventeen. You had this uh, old man. Um, at first, now you, you're still thinking this is the actual body of the old man that's being possessed. Later on, we'll find out it's it's something completely different. But you've got this body of the old man sort of erupting into little founts of blood, and it sprays mm. onto the pillow, and you've got these yeah. streams of blood just just spraying from his face, like a sprinkler system. Yeah, like almost, a sprinkler, isn't it? like a sprinkler system you find on a lawn. And it, it's horrific because um, then it, it sort of starts happening through his neck as well. <clears throat> and and all through this, he's just, he keeps going on with the dialogue, keeps talking about. And then you've got a reference to a previous Gabriel story where he mentions Jenny Christopher, uh, who Gabriel sort of stole from, from the demons uh, when he Yeah, he, he exercised, he exercised her. her successfully. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, having read this strip on its own and not knowing about that story, I just took that as a case of he successfully exercised someone, yeah. and this demon's wanting you know a payment for that loss. Yeah. Which he kind of says, doesn't he? Yeah. You, he says, you stole from us. We're going to steal from you. One plus, yeah. we need one plus your own soul. That's right. Uh, once this is over, he says, um, and then he starts talking about Gabriel's wife. Oh, bad idea. Yeah, and that's when it, it again has a brilliant transition on on the next page, Mark, where it cuts to Desadia still comforting uh, Mrs. Ramirez, and then. She, in order to 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 sort of placate Miss uh, Mrs. Ramirez, to make her aware of the fact that Gabriel is that uh, he does know what he's doing, she sort of like tells his origin story. Now, Mark, I want you to to take the lead on this because I yeah. think you can do this better so, than me. Um, so yeah, this is a nice change of pace, uh, and mm. we're getting like backstory. We're getting backstory, which again is one of the reasons I really like this strip because it is wholly complete with a backstory and everything it's basically if you convert this into a film it would be an origin story almost yeah uh set within a current adventure um now yeah so sardius says um i am his wife but we are not married and she looks nothing like me his wife's dead and then he starts to explain now we see a strip where gabriel's like a he's a scholar at Columbia University happily married his wife she says that he was expecting her first child with his wife Andrea and we see a fresh face smiling two-eyed Gabriel sort of coming into a bright clean apartment everything looks great he's carrying his briefcase you know he looks very smart and then he finds a trail of blood on the kitchen floor and, 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 and follows it through and we find out she's been mutilated stabbed but she's in a locked room and she's holding the knife herself. Yeah. Uh, so it looked like she sort of brutalized herself in, in this bath. Um, yeah. Uh, and he, you know, he can't get over the grief. So he, he joins, and this is on the next page. He joins, we see him joining the priesthood. Then we see him possessed. Uh, and though, and, and Desadia says he hasn't confided all the details of his ordeal, even to Desadia. Uh, he, he at some point during the ado, he had to pluck out his own eye, eye forced by the demon to do it. Yeah. But he had this, gave him the inner strength to exercise himself by placing a cross inside a fire and and putting the 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 red hot cross into his chest. Mm. Uh, it was his first exorcism of many, she says, far too many. So think about and it. His, said, his very first exorcism was he exercised exercised so himself. It's incredible. Um, it, and they actually say he'd he done it in a way that no man's ever done before. He became the subject of his own exorcism, wow. which uh, it's a certain, must take mm. a certain guy of the character, right? To, yeah. To so be able to do that. Amount of uh, and then decided he's got a dry mouth and has to go and get a drink because uh, I think the story's taking a lot out of it. And poor yeah. old Mrs. Maria is he's just sitting there like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's so thinking, what have I done myself? So we get into page... No, wait, a page and a half? Yeah, page and a half. We get an entire backstory really well told and presented. Mm. Really effective graphics. We see, you know, Gabriel sort of groaning back as, you know, um, pushing the cross into his own chest. Yeah. Burning yeah. cross into his own... Really and, effective. And, and you've, you've got this um, panel placement where they've, um, you know... Uh, Looks like flames. Yeah. <laughs> the panels are flame flames. Shape. Yeah, the, the 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 frames of the panels are these flames. It's brilliant, 
and then yeah, you know, it's really good. You've got this little uh, caption placed conveniently um, on top of his crotch. <laughs> yes, that's true. I'd forgotten that. It was a bit Austin Powers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a bit. Um, uh, and then we Michael we Caine go there. back. <laughs> yes, we go back to the uh, the full exorcism, and they're all they're giving it like they're they they're basically trash talking, you know, as mm. exorcists that demon will, right? Mm, exactly. And he's saying stuff like you, uh, ancient serpent, by the judge of the living and the dead, by him who humiliated you with two pieces of bloody wood, <laughs> by him who has the power to consign you to hell, I adjure you to depart. And it goes on like this, uh, and and the demon says, go to hell, Gabriel. <laughs> go like the faithless dog you are so there's a lot of trash <laughs> yeah this is some brilliant banter that they've got between them but if you think about it mark at this point in time the demon's face has changed even more where he's actually got this large forked tongue you know this slitted yes. tongue that's 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 um lolling from his mouth and and this is sort of gabriel's uh you know pitch here which he has um his um uh, exorcism the right that he's speaking but in fact it it's ineffective and the only thing that later on is shown to be working is if Gabriel bludgeons the demon out of the, the corpse. But then they've got this horrific uh, two panels at the bottom of page 20, Mark, where the demon briefly transforms its face into Andrea's face, his dead wife. And then we've got the whole seeing motif turning up again when she bleeds from her eyes and, and she says... Bleeding from white eyes, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, from, from completely pupilless eyes. And she says, Gabriel, I have seen you and you have closed my eyes to all else, which takes her um, sort of uh, inscription of love and, and twists it around to say that Gabriel has mm. caused her death inadvertently. Yes. So now yeah. her eyes are same, closed. Same messages in the picture, written in the picture, right? So mm. a nice callback there. Yeah, but also it twisted in a bit of a horrific way, uh, sort of mars the memory of what she wrote. And then mm. you've, you've got the next panel, which is just um, talking about how uh you know um gabriel met up with the recent incarnation of his wife which yeah um, she's still explaining to mrs ramirez which is a nice uh sort of breathing space within this story yeah yeah, yeah. um sort so of, it's a nice um sort of layering of effect here she basically says he in the end he felt even though he exercised himself he felt it was unworthy and he decided to leave the uh leave the priesthood or leave the cathedral. And as he walked out on what looks like a sort of windswept night. And again, we're seeing the, the sort of imagery that look like psychic powers, but it could be fog or yeah. wind. Um, because she decided is walking towards him and she's wearing a long kind of dress and it's blowing in the wind. So that suggests wind too. Yeah. Um, she greeted him for the first time, said and spoke uh, like his dead wife, I spoke the words of his dead wife, but she had no memory. Yeah. Um, so now this uh, leaves she... you thinking, Mark, what, what could have happened? Could uh, Andrea's spirit have possessed uh, another woman and thereby it, it would appear so. killed her, in, in effect, killed the, the, the woman whose body or subsumed used to her, yeah. yeah, subsumed her. My suspicion is Desaad is a medium. Uh, because she yes. uh, she has medium powers and mm. she somehow has taken on the spirit of Andrea uh, and her own exactly. spirit is, is somewhere there, perhaps, mm. or not. Yeah, I agree with you. Maybe the, the, the force of Andrea's personality just too powerful because of her need for closure or revenge. Who knows? And she just completely, you know, took over the medium body, the medium's body, which must have also been called the Sadia originally. And then, you know, they, they're interrupted 
by their conversation to Sadia and Mrs. Ramirez when they hear this uh, this scream emanating from the the room. No, basically, <laughs> 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 is now it's everything a... just goes batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Gabriel uh, punching out the demon over and over, saying, "You're not Andrea." Uh, and uh, he's punching and punching and punching and suddenly Desadia comes in and says what's happened he's gone and because as Gabriel looks around to see her when he turns back she he has gone the body has physically disappeared yeah um, so I mean this uh, is probably the response the demon wished to elicit from Gabriel because that's why he turned into Gabriel's wife briefly and mm-hmm. um, you know that's why Gabriel lost control and started punching him um, but this also helped them to realize that this body on this bed uh, you know once it disappears it's not the actual corpse that's being no. possessed it's sort of just what if if you talk in ghostbuster terms it's like the ectoplasmic projection or, or projection yeah. yeah some sort of physical projection yeah uh and at this point the wife realizes it's not god who answered her prayers it's the devil yeah um and, and then you've got gabriel literally sort of shaking uh some information out of her because he he sort of says um, where is his body buried? Because the body must still be the the thing that is possessed. And he just grabs her and shakes it out of her. Um, yeah, well, she tries to answer and he says, never mind, you're taking us. <laughs> and like, forces her out of the house. And at this point, it says Friday, 1.42 a.m. So he, he's already been there seven hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that longest um, exorcism. I, I wonder if we've, we might have seen more than just those two punches. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who knows? Um, anyway, they're in the graveyard now. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we find out it's Esteban. There's Esteban. There's my husband. Yeah. Um, and then Gabriel's like, "Take her away. Don't wait." Yeah, like, I'm gonna do and this. This is again, um, you know, Gabriel sort of wanting not just the old woman, but also Desadia out of the way. Um, you know, he's, he's sort of yeah. shunting them off to the side because he knows this is now his fight, and this is where it's going to get real. And and Mark, they sort of foreshadow something that happens later on. One of the a cemetery or one of the grave headpieces is uh, the angel, well, presumably Gabriel, uh, yeah. uh, on one of the and grave he's standing stars. by, isn't he? Yeah. So ties into his name and what will happen later on, which we'll get to. But then um, on the next page, tw- page 24, as Desadia is leading Mrs. Ramirez away, Gabriel sort of starts shouting at the, <laughs> the gravestone. The grave. Come again, for you. I've come for you, Satan filth. Is what he says. <laughs> again with the filth. If it's not, not stink, the it's film, the Gabriel. filth. <laughs> uh, and a bit that this made me think of the, I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Prophecy. Yes. Where yes. Gabriel, mm. funnily mm. enough, the angel Gabriel climbs out of the ground. Yeah, um, Walken, yeah, Oh, is it that? Oh, well, certainly someone climbs out of the ground in that um, um, in that movie. Yeah, is it Gabriel? No, it's not him, but um, someone but he does, certainly, but... definitely, uh, you know, uh, harkens back to to the the same character. I mean, um, they have different motivations, but if you think about it, uh, you know, the angel Gabriel being, you know, one of the uh, God's badasses. <laughs> yes, <laughs> demon, did. demon, you know, warrior. Uh, so this is what Gabriel is. Yeah, so I'm, I guess it does have that sort of evocative image of this creature climbing out of the ground, but it, it doesn't do that in traditional terms, Mark. I mean, there's a sound effect, and then there's this explosion, sort of of hellfire, presumably, mm-hmm. and there's even smoke emanating from this um, hole. And then this uh, skeleton of this old man, um, he pulls himself free, 
and uh, he, he presumably gets into a sitting position and just reaches towards Gabriel with a clawed hand, all the while trash-talking him. And then again, how many times has Gabriel told these, this demon to shut up? He again says, silence, Belial. <laughs> You're no more awesome than a greedy maggot. <laughs> so they've got so much name calling going on here and he goes come and take me maggot if you can feed on me <laughs> and the thing is this corpse is, is kind of half skeleton half demon isn't it yeah. it's a very interesting yeah, the design. face of a demon but the decaying flesh of a zombie uh, yeah a, and like claw like hands too right now mark now once gabriel has sort of um you know given him the go-ahead to initiate this battle on the very next page, after page 24, what follows on page 25, this really surprised me because you've got the, the corpse unloading on Gabriel with some eye beams. <laughs> yes. Wow. Uh, I have to say at this point, Gabriel's t- mean, we obviously know Gabriel means business because he's taking his jacket off at this point. Oh, he's got yeah. his jumper still on, but he's taking his jacket off. So he, he's ready to sort of lay the law down, really. This is what I call um, him the Hugh Jackman shot. <laughs> Hugh Jackman would have been good doing this yeah I can definitely say that uh, and he says and now Gabriel she'll taste forever the fires of hell Yeah, uh, and I get this now you shall sink forever into the oozing putrescence of the pit <laughs> and now you shall forever and he keeps going on and on and meanwhile Gabriel's just ripped his shirt off his jumper off right Yeah. so he's topless at this point yeah and his cross is glowing, glowing. And that's really cool, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this it's is super brilliant cool. um, art by uh, Trinidad, Sunny Trinidad here. The, the cross is now infused with some kind of holy might. And it's shining with, uh, you know, um, okay, this is derivative if I say divine light almost. And, the, mm. and then there's another bit of divine light that shines from presumably heaven, Mark. Um, I yes. Mean, the, the, at it's first, coming from above. Yeah, it's coming from above. At first, and they're fighting... Um, at the foot of this giant uh, tombstone, which is in the form of this, the angel Gabriel, the statue of angel, Gabriel. Yeah. And then you've got, at first, uh, the demon, uh, Belial, being inundated or, or enveloped by this holy light from Gabriel's chest. But then the light yeah. from, the, from the sort of um, from the heaven hits him from behind. Uh, and then we've got the sound effect, which is what supposedly a wind or a banshee's wail you just, just woo, it could woo. be trumpets or something <laughs> yeah. i have to say the demon just get, gets in the last word though he does say you stink gabriel <laughs> <laughs> no. again with the stink no damn you gabriel you stink gabriel no <laughs> what is so happening get, here this is crazy you get the light from above and then a lightning bolt comes down and hits the angel with a shrack, right? Mm, yeah, and that that's an awesome bit of scene too. So a bit of with with a bit of help from heaven, you've got this giant statue of Gabriel toppling. And at first, there's a couple of panels that shows the the sort of uh, progression in this fight, where where at first you've got more sound effect of woo, and then uh, it's sort of like this the statue of this angel angel is. Um, uh, granted this heavenly energy and it's sort of enveloped in a type of, of, of shield this this divine force shield and then it collapses and then this demon just keeps screaming no but he's had three panels to to dodge whatever's coming yeah and then this great scene where this giant statue just collapses and crushes the demon and then as its body the body that it possessed is crushed its soul or or essence presumably escapes but not down back into hell 
it's sort of sucked up almost into heaven with the into same somewhere yes yeah or into limbo yeah. or a void or what whatever and it's it's a great page um which shows sort of this um divine intervention almost almost kind of a deus ex machina mark because if you think about it mm. the only thing gabriel really did was rip off his shirt <laughs> yeah he got a few punches in the earlier but all he yeah. did was rip his shirt off and sort of say come on in come yeah. on yeah uh, and interestingly <laughs> in the next panel the angels back up right again yeah and it's all quiet yeah, which exactly. reminds me of the end of the devil rise out Yes. You know that whole yeah. returning to normality. Yeah, there, there they played with time and uh, with the spell that that spell that the richly uttered, right? But it's the same here because it's as if what whatever occurred has been wiped, uh, you yeah, know, clean. So you're right; it it does kind of have a devil rides out sort of feel to it. Now that you mention it, um, which again could be one of the inspiration uh, inspirational sources of the writers because you know I do know that even though a lot of Hammer films weren't popular, The Devil Writes Out did have a bit of a uh, did well. Yeah, a lot of people think. That, I mean, yeah. I, I, it's my favorite Hammer film, but I think it, it's always been well regarded. Uh, the Devil Writes Out. Yeah, even in the states uh, at this early early time, I think it it sort of broke. The, the traditional hammer mold that most people thought of as just the you know knockoffs of of the universal monsters because that's how some americans thought it hammer was whereas in fact yeah. it was so much more but um uh yeah i think the devil writes out if i'm not mistaken i read that it did do well so it could also be one of the you know the influences here because it definitely has that sort of feel to it and um yeah. then you know um we've got this tragic scene uh, uh where it turns out that desadia tells Gabriel that um, Mrs. Ramirez, who presumably refused to leave the cemetery, she wanted to witness the um, salvation of her husband, um, and then she saw what truly occurred, and it stopped her heart, and she died. She had a heart attack. And um, yeah. then Gabriel sort of, you know, turns it around by saying, you know, hey, you know, perhaps she got what she wanted. Her prayers have been answered. She's finally with her husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It could come Her up, prayers have been answered, right? Yeah, it could come off as callous, but I think it's probably appropriate for for what happened because you know she was old at the end of her life, and you know she probably just wanted to be with him. And then you've got mm. this final panel um, where you see a, a last shot of the statue of Gabriel, the angel, and then <clears throat> you've got the same sound in the very bottom panel in Gabriel's study. Where mm. this this eerie noise woo, is emanating. Yeah, it from suggests it. it's a distant, but it's there. It can be heard from that um, place. That's what it's suggesting, right? As exactly. if the demon had gone past or something. Exactly. And then, Mark, on the very final page of the comic, I want you to talk about this because I'm not quite sure what happened here. Um, right. So it goes. Uh, the, we. I say it was distant, but in the next panel with the it's kind of like the noise flows through the study and the yeah. book he was reading suddenly comes open and the leaves sort of ripple to the to, to open on the the uh, the inserted page and then we see it's the official certificate of death of andrea gabriel yeah um uh, that's what the the document was, and then we get a close up of some of the text from the book, and it says, "Thus, it may be argued, even in a secular sense, that rather than the, the sorry, I'll say that again, than rather than the end, death constitutes a new beginning." Yeah, and then you get woof, and then yeah, <laughs> the, the death, death certificate, certificate goes up in uh, flames. Exactly, right? yeah. 
and just combust. Uh, and in an hour and... light, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, so whatever that thing was, I don't know. I don't know quite what that means. See, what, I, not, does I, it... what I think it means, but I, I could be completely just reaching here, um, is, you know, Gabriel was quite cold towards the Sadia throughout, you know, the entire comic and also uh, throughout the earlier comics he appeared in, in Haunt of Horror. And it could be that he was not reconciled to the fact that she is his wife and this is the best he's going to get from Andrea. So, mm. you know, but now witnessing the love between these two people that he saved, you know, Mrs. Ramirez and her dead husband and how time is precious and how they spent so, such a long time together and how his eventual death was corrupted by evil. Maybe this meant that he now has, you know, as the passage denotes, started a new beginning. And um, this mm -hmm. is sort of reflected when he says um, at the very end of the comic, come inside with me to say, I'm tired and I wish to be alone with my wife. So it could mean that he accepts her now fully as his wife and that they can uh, recommence their relationship. Um, at yeah. least that's what I took from it. But it feels like I'm kind of reading too much into it. You know, that's why possibly. I, I mean, this is the f only bit of tenderness, if if that that he's shown towards this idea. Yeah, Nishtra, right? It's very uh, final panel. Yeah, yeah, I but mean, it might be a product of its times. It might yeah. it might be just that, right? Yeah, I mean, the very fact that the the a death certificate combusted means that he's passed the death of Andrea Gabriel and she's alive, you know, in Desadia, she's alive, which means that yeah. there's no need for the death certificate. So it could have been heaven doing that. It could have been Gabriel himself through whatever divine power he's been granted, you know, subconsciously doing that. We never find out, but it's a bit no. of, again, meta textual. Um, and uh, the writer's trying to, to put a bit more than just meets the eye into the, the text, which I appreciate it. Um, yeah, from, from it's a nice final yeah. page, really, to wind yeah. up the story, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Mark, um, uh, I really enjoyed this comic book, and uh, since you introduced it to me, I'll I'll let you go first. I really want to hear your rating on it, but before we we do ratings, I want to just introduce you to the Long Box of Darkness rating system. Basically, I pick uh, an object or some scary, horrific. Uh, thing from each episode or comic that I've discussed and I use that as the rating system so I was going to go with uh, you know um, uh, crucifix scar in this case but I'm going to because that's been done in previous episodes I'm going to use an optic nerve so uh, out of five <laughs> how many optic nerves <laughs> would you give this issue out of five? Oh, I this is an easy five I, I find nothing wrong with this strip at all I think it's as I said at the beginning, this is like one of those strips where you just... This is the only Gabriel I knew for many years. And I felt I knew the character really well from this one strip. And I had the backstory. I had, you know, it's a dynamic, aggressive, um, sort of exciting strip mm, and, and mm. character. Uh, and we got... Not only was it just about him, we got this kind of mythology of, you know, Desadia, his his dead wife possessing some other a woman that helps him and and is obviously in a continuing battle with these demons yeah uh you know this isn't just a one-off this demon knows him and he knows the demon but it wasn't like there were questions raised about that he just accepted it so uh and it's just really well drawn so i, th I find this a flawless comic um, i'm actually. in complete agreement that's actually why i picked this comic and wanted you to speak on it with me mark as soon as you mentioned it because i've 
since since you've introduced it to me, I've read it at least half a dozen times because um, you know, along with the panel transitions, the art, the the dialogue, which is overwrought and over the top, but for its time, it works. Because one of the things I love about old comics is how um, you know the dialogue sort of is a little bit um, you know too flowery. And, and and how the the writers tend to overwrite their dialogue and this is one of the things that I as a comic book fan actually enjoy <laughs> when it comes to dialogue this, alone and this, yeah this, this is a sprint of a story isn't it mm. it's a proper they're going out in full steam for the whole I mean the only breathing space in it is where um decide is filling in his backstory which is thoroughly engrossing yeah because so, it, you it know, sort of serves a purpose um if they were if it was just non-stop action and horror um from 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 the get-go when when they start entering the apartment of the ramirez's then it would have been too much it would have sort of overwhelmed you but they juxtapose that with the scenes where desadia is talking to mrs ramirez about his origin so for me that's a very elegant way of sort of breaking yeah. up the pace it's- Indeed, yeah. this is a very elegant story. Uh, yeah. This is very well put together in terms of. I don't think there's a wasted frame or or dialogue. No. I mean, some of it could have been trimmed, but it just felt perfectly balanced to me. Yeah, and some of them uh, are very experimental. Some of the, the 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 panels, the art, and so forth. And also, mm. uh, if you think about it, there's a real kernel of originality running through this entire issue i mean i've never read anything about an exorcism done on a corpse for one no. and um you know uh, the whole uh, concept of self or, or of possession and then exercising oneself i've never ever heard of that in all the annals of of exorcist movies or exorcism movies movies about exorcisms i've never encountered that so the originality alone makes me also give it five out of five optic nerves yeah. Absolutely. This, this self self exorcism <clears throat> thing, the only thing I, closest I can relate to is people surviving the vampire bite, which again is Van Helsing and Kronos. Mm, mm. Uh, but that's the nearest I can think of. Um, but it is very original. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, Mark, I'm again very happy that you introduced me to this character and this comic book because it's definitely going down as one of my favorite single horror issues. Or horror and stories. I hope we kind of encourage people to try and sort of hunt it out and, and read it for themselves. Yeah, it's available on eBay. So far, it's not available in, uh, you know, collection form. Um, there is no. a collection uh, out called Marvel's Monster Magazines, but that doesn't include the story. So, unfortunately... It's such a shame. Yeah. It's such a shame. I mean, I, I want some, um, you know, proper hardcover collections of Marvel's black and white material. They haven't done that yet. They they, they stick to these cheap reprints, uh, mm. these collected editions in, in paperback. And I'm really not happy with those. But, you know, hopefully, Mark, in the future, I just, I mean, this character hasn't remained popular. So there's no reason for them to print it. But, you know, I'm hoping that Marvel does, you know, do some more horror comics in the future where they just collect it. They should just go ahead and do it. Yeah. Mm. So, Mark, then let's get into um, our favorite panels, favorite pages, and favorite bit of dialogue. Um, do you want to go first on this one as well? Yeah, I'm happy to go first. Um, okay. uh, my favorite panel for this, I'm just going to pull it up so I can see it myself, is the. There's some really good panels in this. This is quite yeah. hard to do. Uh, but yeah, I think my favorite is the point where he's looking at the 
body of the man in the house, or I think it's the body of the man, and it just he says, "Who are you?" And it just says, "Niram." It goes through the names, and just before it says Ambalial, his face changes yes. uh, yeah. into a demonic form. I, my favourite panel is that face change with the like candles in the eyes and the the pointed teeth. Yeah. Uh, it's and a very distorted face uh, and and a skewed panel as well. Yeah, really nice, really yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, do you want to go panel or shall I do the oh, other bits? Oh yeah, no, I I, I can uh, go ahead with my favorite panel. Mark, mine is on page nineteen, which you mentioned earlier, where um, we see him uh, pressing the burning hot cross against his chest uh, when mm. he's exercising himself. Now, the reason why I love this pa- that panel is actually two panels in one, but you know, I'm I'm. Um, exercising a bit of uh, artistic license here when I'm saying that it sort of works well as one panel because the mm. fire itself, like you say, is sort of the, the the panel itself, but you're not really sure if it's completely separating the two images, although it does just yeah. because it's the same person. But, you know, what I like about that panel is the fact that he appears quite demonic uh, and, and that's basically his entire origin story condensed into one panel. So that's Absolutely. the reason why I like that one. And you can feel the pain, and it's got a hint to me of things like the paintings on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Oh, it's got yeah, that kind like of angelic, yeah, demon. Yeah, in this case, vibe, he's reaching right? towards the fire with a cross. Yeah, so yeah. there's probably more more there that that we're seeing. Um, you yeah, can it's a really it a really good choice. That is. Yeah. yeah, and if you look at Sunny Trinidad's. Um, uh, rendering of Gabriel's neck in the panel where he's in agony, you you can see the veins and the muscles standing out on his tendons. Neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah tendons. absolutely. You can see, feel the pain, right? Yeah, Looking definitely. And his kind of hand, distorted hand, that's kind of not part of the burning, but it's just a hand out in the distance with sort of fingers curled up with the pain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, amazing. Oh, good, good panel. So, what about your favorite page, Mark? My favourite page. Well, I think it's the it's page sixteen. Let me describe it for the listeners. Essentially, it starts with Gabriel strapping <laughs> the the uh, the uh, weird creature thing uh, to the bed, uh, yeah. and, it, and it ends with him doing the joke about the goat. Uh, and uh, and again, it tells you everything you need to know about Gabriel. Gabriel's completely unconcerned by all this foul language coming out about. Sp- you know, mm. God stinks and all this. Uh, and he just says, wake me up when you get to your werewolf impression. Or do you think it's time we get down to the exorcism? Is what he said. <laughs> well, Mark, you've, I, I have to mention, you've stolen my page. It's oh, also my favorite page. Well, it is a great page. It is Every brilliant. panel is fantastic. It's brilliant. Like, um, okay, first the image of the, the old guy uh, recovering from um, unconsciousness he's he's you can see the fang one fang you know peeking out from beneath his lips the blood seeping out from his nose and then you know he's trash talking gabriel while gabriel's like meticulously tying him to the, these bed posts and then yeah. you've got you know him transforming into this goat just for for the for the, to, to to make a point to make the joke you know to uh, the punchline of the joke <laughs> I'm like getting your goat. Oh, yeah. it's brilliant. And, you know, nice. the rendering of him turning into the goat is great. You've got that, you know, sort of um, demonic light, you know, emanating from the goat head. And then you've got these um, muscles that look like it's being stretched on a rack, you know, mm. uh, which is great. 
So I, I agree. It is a great page. I mean, but the next page too, seventeen is pretty good. I mean, it would have usually won on any other sort of uh, criteria, but man, sixteen is so good. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, page I agree. sixteen, yeah. And then uh, favorite bit of dialogue. My favorite bit of dialogue is when the uh, the corpse comes out of the ground, uh, and uh, it's Gabriel yeah. trash talking about, and he says, "Silence, Belal. You're no more awesome than a greedy maggot feeding on helpless flesh three years dead." <laughs> and it goes on a bit more, but that essentially, I, I just, just like the whole dialogue between these two is amazing because yeah. like they just hate each other and they're just not giving up. Yeah, they've got a real history between each other. That's why this is basically Batman versus the Joker, but with mm. with even more higher stakes, I should say, um, because here they're they're not just fighting for you know um, the, the the lives of the Gotham citizens. Here it's like literally fighting for your immortal soul, um, you know, and uh, possibly you know uh, the end of the world. Who knows <laughs> what would have happened if Gabriel was never there to stop this incursion by the demons. But um, my favorite bit is on page 14, which you talked about earlier, Mark, when we went through the comic, where this is the very first uh, sign that we uh, get from the demon's personality when he says, uh, yes, your God, your God, scum woman. <laughs> you know that bit of Scum line? woman. Scum yes. woman. You know, <laughs> I wish that I would ever, that one day in my life I would meet someone who would warrant the insult of scum woman. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of ever meeting someone like that, but it would have to be someone pretty horrific. Probably Mother Teresa. No, no, no. <laughs> that's bad. Sorry, excuse me there, listeners. But yeah, um, that's my, my favorite bit. And, you know, Gabriel doesn't speak much except for saying shut up. But um, it's all <laughs> it's all the demon. It's all Belial in, in mm. that, that, uh, on that page. And it's, his dialogue just, just sings for me. So a great bit of... Um, you know, uh, speaking from from old Belial there. So basically, that's it, Mark. Um, great comic. Uh, I was very happy to have have you on the show to discuss it with us. But we're far from done. Now that we're f- uh, finished talking about Gabriel, um, I hope that I can corral you to be on future so- shows. Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, certainly. Because there's a lot of 2080, uh, you know, uh, knowledge that you have in that mind of yours that I want to uh, plumb. And also, um, you know, you're a big Stephen King fan. I am. Um, we're going to be talking about that just now as well when we're going to be talking about some of your podcasts. And, you know, we've been talking about doing the Dark Tower book, so that's on the horizon, possibly next year. Um, but um, that'll coincide with one of your uh, podcasts. Now, Mark, I want you to uh, quickly remind the listeners where they can find your podcasts on the web and which podcasts you have. And then, if, uh, sh- if you're willing, could you give us a bit of a preview of of uh, upcoming shows? Certainly, certainly. Um, my, I mean, I, do, as you mentioned right at the beginning, I I do guest on the United Nations of Horror uh, fairly frequently. So, I mean, the easiest way to find that is to go to www.theunitednationsofhorror.com um, mm-hmm. uh, and and see what's there. That we talk a lot, all sorts of things, all sorts. Uh, and you yourself have been on it recently with your comic book show, uh, the first part of a comic book show, yeah. I should say. Uh, but for my own shows, um, 
Uh, my main podcast is called The Good, The Bad, and The Odd. Uh, and again, to get to that, uh, <laughs> www.thegoodthebadandtheodd.com, mm-hmm. very easy. And it's on all pretty much all sort of streaming platforms, iTunes and his RSS and yeah. all sorts. If you've got a, a reasonably decent uh, podcast software that allows you to search for, for podcasts, you're pretty we've been around for six odd years now so you'll find us um uh but that's our main one which i usually do with my eldest son sam sometimes i have other guests but mostly it's me sam and i we just talk about stuff we want we're interested in uh we often we mostly do movies but we, we sometimes do tv shows yeah. and sometimes we talk about games and stuff and comics and uh, Sam is, is big into sort of anime and manga too, so he, he'll talk about that. Nice. Um, uh, but we, we've been doing that main show for, as I say, six years. We're up to, uh, and this number includes all the shows, just so you know. We're up to 500 and nearly 550 now. Yeah, shows. amazing, amazing. Uh, um, uh, and, and the next show we've got planned re- to record, just to give you a taster, is we're doing a show about the uh, TV show that's on Amazon Prime called The Tick. Oh, uh, which yeah. is kind of a comedy superhero Great. thing. It's a lot yeah. of fun. Uh, I finished watching it uh, yesterday, so we'll be recording about that in a few days yeah. and then probably awesome. put the episode out a few after. Uh, but I run three, three different sub-podcasts uh, off of this main podcast. Uh, one you featured on, Kingology, yes. uh, which is chronologically going through the works of Stephen King. Uh, we uh, you know, started with Carrie, uh, and I've got be recording the, the next show. I'll be recording in a few days, or maybe in a week. Is Misery? Oh, great! Oh. So that's where we've got to. Uh, mm. And our rec- most recent show before that was, uh, as you know, because you were on it, the drawing of the three. <laughs> that's um, right, the Dark Tower. So uh, we started the Dark Tower, and we, mm. you and I, did two shows about the first two Dark Tower books. Yeah. And at some point, uh, I hope to come on and talk about some of the comics because I, I was really taken with the graphic novels of the comics of the Dark Tower. Uh, yeah. But we're, well, that's a way away, isn't it? Yeah, we, we've just. Be a well, I've locked because... you down for that, Mark. So you know, yeah. just remember that you've, you're committed. <laughs> yes, um, uh, and as I say, the next one that's coming out on the King Ollie. If if you're a fan of Stephen King, come listen. Uh, the next one uh, we are recording on is Misery. Yeah. Um, I have a number of different guests on for that. My main uh, um, co-host on this is Anthony Rito- Anthony Rotolo, who runs the TV Terror um podcast which is great about tv movies and yeah. tv shows concerning horror uh really interesting he, he co-hosts the most frequently but i have various hosts on depending on what sort of books they're interested in anthony is a big stephen king fan but he's not a fan of everything yeah um so you know i have other guests on for different books uh, i also run one called the x-files x-files which is again going through the x-files and influences on the x-files uh um, uh, and we started at you know episode one, season one, and we we're, we're in about season four now. Mm. Uh, we're partway through season four, and I co-host that mostly with uh, Becky, Becky, yeah. also Becky Booth, who's also on the United Nations Horror. Uh, but we also cover influences. So we're, our next recording will probably be about um, Kolchak. The old seventies, uh, oh, the co- Night Stalker. Oh, I love it. Yes, oh, I can't we've covered wait for some, that. but we've got another few episodes to cover. We we do love our culture. Oh. It's quite a relief. Same here. From Same some here. some of the um, X Files one can be a bit dark, yeah. um, and so culture is a bit of relief. Um, and then finally, I also run a sub podcast called the Twin Peaks Log, 
Yes. Uh, so we went through every episode of Twin Peaks and some of the influences, uh, and it's. I think we're going to be cover. We we don't we record much less frequently on that one. I think at some point soon we're going to be covering Eraserhead, which we oh, see yeah. as a major influence on yeah. season three of, of the Twin Peaks. I can't so, wait for that, uh, Mark. Yeah, Big yeah. Twin so we, we've got a lot of content coming up, but yeah. if you they want to get to any of it the easiest thing to do is uh, do a search for the good the bad and the odd or just go to www.thegoodthebadandtheodd.com uh, great great mark thanks so normally when we uh, sign off um, on the first segment of the show um, I let the guests do some recommendations um, I normally put, uh, give my recommendations at the very end but um, mark I'll let you kick it off with your recommendations normally that could be anything uh, horror related that you think our listeners might enjoy um, normally they're into a variety okay. of things, anything horror really. So um, anything yeah. you're watching lately or that you might want to recommend? Well, what I would recommend is, uh, I would certainly recommend Gabriel, Devil Hunter, if mm. you could check it out. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Uh, in terms of something I've read recently, uh, I've reread Misery recently, as which is Stephen King's all, virtually his first foray into what I would call real horror. Uh, rather than sort of supernatural or fantastic horror. Uh, the exception possibly being Cujo, because that was about a rabid dog. But yeah. Misery is really an intense psych- sort of psychological sort of horror story. Uh, and I'd recommend the book or the film, actually, but the book is is pretty intense and well-written stuff. Uh, and I really enjoyed revisiting it. I've forgotten how good it was. Yeah. Uh, so I would definitely suggest that. But right. the film has also got his virtues. You know, Kathy Bates gives an amazing performance, uh, as does James Caan. Uh, in terms of uh, movies, I think it relates to this this particular story we just got through. I'm going to have to recommend Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. Yes. Um, <laughs> one of the very late cycle Hammer movies, Um where they were just trying stuff to sort of keep an audience interested because they kind of lost out to things like The Exorcist, right? That's right. Um, You know, and the changing horror, face of horror. But Captain Kronos was like almost the last roller to die where they were kind of trying to match up sort of swashbuckling with with, uh, their vampiric stuff. Uh, And they had some very interesting films in their late cycle, you know, things like Vampire Circus and stuff. Uh, but of those, my favourite among them is Captain Kronos. It's got its flaws. It's not perfect, but man, it's fun. Yeah, it is really fun and interesting and and, and good to watch. Um, so I, I think it ties into Gabriel somewhat. You know, there's a similar kind of vibe, though it's vampires. It, it's got mm. a similar kind of vibe. So you know, hunting monsters is what we're, where we're at here. It and, is. So I definitely recommend that. Yeah, and like you mentioned earlier, like Karen Carolyn Monroe is the actress in <laughs> Captain Cronus, and she ties in with with uh, Gabriel's uh, paramour. She does have a Desardia <laughs> kind of vibe to she her. Does she does have, yeah, this. true. Great recommendations, Mark. No, I think our listeners would definitely check those out, and um, I'll, they'll appreciate it. Thanks. So um, that's it for us on this segment, uh, constant listeners. We'll be back with Mark in a future episode. Um, but for now, that's it from us. So, Mark, once again, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Great. And with that, it's uh, bye from me. And bye from me.
welcome to yet another installment of Herman's History of Horror. This time, Herman will take a closer look at the Marvel black and white magazines, following shortly after the success of Warren and Skywald and Eerie Publications. So stay tuned for more horror edification. <laughs> well, listeners, we're back with our History of Horror segment. After that great discussion we had with Mark, uh, pertaining one of Mar- Marvel's horror magazines, I thought I would include this segment. Um, even though it's not chronologically correct, um, today I should actually have been talking about the Eerie Publications and Skywald uh, magazines from the late 1960s. But I thought, why not jump ahead a bit to the Marvel magazine segments? As this is related to our topic that we discussed earlier in our main segment. So, um, Marvel's black and white horror magazines were obviously a response to the success of uh, such titles as Creepy, Eerie, Vampirella, and also the Skywall publications and the Eerie publications. And also because um, it wasn't hampered by the Comic Book Code Authority. Um, It felt to artists and writers that they would have more creative freedom. So it was doubly attractive, not only for the chance to make some cash, but also to cash in on the market, I should say, of the black and white horror boom, but also to allow artists to express themselves to the utmost of their abilities and You know, that's always worked in the past. Creative freedom allows for some experimentation, some innovation, and Marvel's black and white magazines were certainly no exception. So after Warren's success, um, Marvel had made a tryout effort in the field of the black and white magazines with a kind of a Spider-Man magazine. That was in 1968. But it only had a limited um, run and a limited form of success. But a second attempt was made by Marvel in 1971 with Savage Tales, a magazine that um, had different content, but it was more sword and sorcery, but it yielded similar results to the Spider-Man magazine. It didn't really achieve much commercial success. However, by 1973... Um, it became clear that while superheroes and adventure magazines were unproven in black and white, horror turned out to be way more successful. So Marvel launched four black and white horror magazines in 1973, as well as some weird type of prose horror digest. And then a fifth horror title was added in 1974 as well. So in addition to these horror titles, Marvel also released... Um, two to three action-adventure, humor, superhero, and movie-related titles between 1973 and 1978, all of this falling under their Umbrella magazine imprint. So by launching so many titles in a short period, they flooded the marketplace, which is similar to what Erie Publications did in the late 60s in response to Warren's black-and-white magazine success. But... The horror magazines that Marvel produced were of very high quality, obviously because of the creators involved. 
um, and also because of the influx of the European, Filipino, and South American contingent of artists. Um, and this was actually known as the so-called Spanish invasion. Earlier when I talked about this um, with Mark in our first segment, I called it the Filipino invasion. That should actually be amended to the Spanish invasion because it wasn't only Filipino artists, but also Spanish artists and South American artists that joined this influx of new talent. And of course you had writers um, like, with the likes of Steve Gerber, uh, Marf Wolfman, Roy Thomas, you had Stephen Perry, uh, Don McGregor, who edited the Gabriel story we talked about earlier. And then great art from American mainstay artists too, uh, like Michael Kaluda, Neil Adams, John Buscema, Tom Sutton, Alex Nino, Mike Plug, uh, Gene Colan, uh, Steve Bissett. Wow, the list goes on and on. Um, but they had also obviously contributed to the competitors, uh, Warren and Skywalls. So the sheer extent of what Marvel considered workable in this black and white field um, proved impressive. Uh, sword and sorcery, action science fiction titles, adventure, even humor titles uh, were published by them at this point in time. And it worked. They uh, achieved great financial success from this magazine section of theirs alone. Um, but there's a difference actually between the Marvel and the Warren Skywald model. Uh, Marvel's printing process was a little bit inferior, it turned out. Um, if you compare it to Warren or Skywald, their process wouldn't easily accommodate artwork done in pencil uh, because they hadn't had a lot of experience with black and white before this. So um, an example would be their ink and wash pages occasionally lost their sharpness in reproduction, which is quite a shame. And these Marvel magazines um, also featured a kind of uniqueness uh, when you compared it to Warren and Skywald. And what I mean by this is they generally tended to follow a type of uh, superhero serial story where there's one character that uh, is involved in this long-form narrative and nothing particularly horrible happens to the character at the end of each issue or story arc, whereas in Creepy and Eerie and Skywalt's publications, Horror stories normally had a definite ending where something befell the main characters and it was suitably horrific. But with Marvel, that was not the case. They had trouble letting go of their characters. Uh, Dracula would keep, you know, um, continuing on, uh, moving from story to story. Monster Frankenstein, uh, Simon Garth, the zombie, um, Morbius, the living vampire, they would never actually meet their end. Well, Simon Garth, in fact, he did die, but it was um, a, re a resurrection was in fact planned by Marvel. But apparently, now this is an interesting aside here, um, his revival story was lost in the mail and uh, the magazine was cancelled before the story was recovered. So, in fact, uh, that never happened. Simon Garth could be seen as the only Marvel horror ca character who actually did have a satisfying horror ending where he perished in a suitable, horrific fashion. 
But of course, there were uh, one-off stories uh, published by the likes of uh, Jerry Conway, Tom Sutton, Tony Isabella, Esteban Moroto, those guys, Stephen Perry, Steve Bissett. Um, and they were hard-hitting, um, probably as hard-hitting as Warren or Skywald. But like I said, the main stories followed these recurring characters. And another thing that made Marvel stand out was they had financial resources much greater than Warren or Skywald. So they could regularly pay for and adapt um, copyrighted fiction. So you, you had stories in the Marvel Monster magazines by based on the works of Harlan Ellison or August Derleth, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, Robert E. Howard, even Michael Moorcock. And um, this definitely proved a hit with readers, these adaptations of copyrighted fiction. Um, so basically Marvel achieved great success and uh, I would recommend you picking up these old magazines. They're available on eBay, um, not too expensive actually, so definitely um, worth getting. And of course there is a collection out, the Marvel Horror Collection. It uh, contains a few examples of the different magazines, although it's nowhere near complete. And um, as I mentioned earlier, when I talked to Mark about it, the Gabriel story we discussed, which we both agreed on as being the best Gabriel story, is not in fact available in this Marvel uh, horror magazine collection that's available at the moment on Amazon and on Comixology and in bookstores. But it's still worth getting. Um, the art is reproduced nicely. In fact, that this this Marvel magazine horror collection was one of my Christmas presents of. 2017, so um, I did enjoy reading it. Um, I'll probably do a future show on that alone. But um, that concludes our History of Horror segment. Uh, we'll be back next week looking uh, in depth at the Skywald and Eerie publications of the late 60s, as well as Warren's Vampirella. But I hope you enjoyed this uh, brief uh, interlude that focused solely on the Marvel black and white magazines. Well, uh, we're going to take another little break and we'll be back with our recommendations. So stay tuned. Xenozoic Xenophiles. A fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. Please join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in this excellent comic series from writer and artist Mark Schultz. Special episodes feature interviews with Mark Schultz himself discussing Xenozoic Tales and his other comics. Listen at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit XenozoicXenophiles.com. Xenozoic Xenophiles is part of the Rad Adventures Network at RadAdventuresNetwork.com. All right, listeners, it's recommendation time. Something I've been reading lately that I'm sure you would like, and also uh, something that fits in with what we've been discussing during the entire show today. And that is Marvel's Vampire Tales collections. 
Now, this of course is the black and white magazine that we uh, briefly mentioned earlier. Um, it ran for 11 issues and it's all 11 issues has been collected into three um, almost digest sized as uh, soft covers. And um, I'm pretty sure they're not available on Amazon anymore, but you can find digital copies of them on Comixology. And um, you can also find some on eBay, possibly. I've been recommending a lot of eBay content. <laughs> I apologize for that, but still. Um, you had some great stories in here. The main character featured would arguably be Morbius, the living vampire, although later on Blade... The Vampire Hunter also became a main character. And um, most of the stories were written by uh, Marvel horror comic greats, Doug Munch, Marv Wolfman, Roy Thomas, Tony Isabella, uh, the aforementioned Don McGregor again. And you had artists here that um, would probably be in the running for the greatest horror artist of all time. Um, people like Tony DeZuniga, Sonny Trinidad, who did the story that Mark and I talked about earlier, the Gabriel Devin, Devil Hunter tale. Pablo Marcos, Rich Buckler, Tom Sutton, one of the greats, Mike Vosberg. So definitely um, a legendary stable of artists featured here. And of course, the stories featured within are not only um, the typical Marvel serialized uh, superhero tale, um, style superhero tale I should say of course all of these stories are horror but you have a lot of one and done stories which featured more EC style Warren magazine influenced stories and then you've also got some prose pieces about vampire lore or vampire fiction you've got uh, pinups of famous vampires of film such as Christopher Lee Frank Langella you've got um, of course a lot of Bella Lugosi in there as well. And then you've got some um, film history uh, chronicling the vampire's appearances in movies and so forth. Um, you've also got letters pages. You've got great editorial content, uh, behind the scenes articles and so forth. So I would recommend these three paperback volumes of Marvel's collected vampire tales. Well, that is it for this show. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, this is actually the first show featuring a guest and it turns out that um, the next show we've got slated will also feature a guest. So that would be episode 12 but before that I'll give a brief prelude episode to uh, episode 12. I'm not going to mention what we're going to be discussing. I'll leave that as a surprise but um, I was lucky enough to have gotten a couple of guests who were interested in appearing on my show. So Mark being the first of those, I'm glad he got to be the first um, since he's one of my um, favorite podcasting personalities out there, along with his colleagues, uh, Rebecca Booth and Lucard Dragomir over at the United Nations of Horror. So listeners, with that, it's goodbye from me. Take care of yourselves and be careful when you walk down a cobblestone street in the middle of the night and hear the eerie sigh of the wind. It might just be the rush of something vampiric approaching you from above. So with that, 
I'll end by just saying pleasant screams and good night. The Long Box of Darkness appreciates feedback of any kind, criticism or otherwise. So if you want to reach out, you can do so by sending an email to darklongbox at gmail.com, follow me on Twitter at darklongbox, or check out the blog at longboxofdarkness.com.